Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Sunrise, Jacare Souza versus Jack Hermanson, and Shaq is going down this Saturday in Florida, number three versus number 10 in the main event. Yeah, Jacare Souza, he's a top three middleweight. I mean, he's fought some of the best of the best. And you got Jack Hermanson, who a few months ago, not too many people knew who he was, and then he comes out here, gets that great submission win over Dave Branch in the co-main event, and circumstances happened, and uh, Yoel pulled out, and now he gets to step in. So it's a great main event. And right now... As you're probably going to hear in the Big Marley Minute, the fight doesn't go the distance prop is minus 600. So someone's going to get finished Saturday night, Shaq. Yeah, more than likely, man. The way Jacare's been striking lately, man, is power. And uh, we know what happens when Jack gets on top. So I definitely see this fight uh, getting finished. For sure. And joining us, our very special guest, this man managed Chris Weidman and John Valanche back in the day. Also sponsored Ben Askren, Daniel Cormier, and Misha Tate, among others but more importantly, is a degenerate gambler like the two of us. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend Ian Parker is joining us right here right now on Half the Battle. Ian, what's going on, man? What's going on, guys? I like how you emphasize I'm a degenerate gambler. I, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I, fully, I fully support that title, and it kind of fits me way too well. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Really uh, long time coming, and uh, looking forward to making these picks. Absolutely. Well, let's get right down to business, and... Uh, Let's start off with this fight that has the widest line on the entire card because we got Angela Hill. She's minus 600. The comeback on Jody Escabel is plus 450. And Angela Hill, she's 8-6. and six, And Jody Escabel is 6-4. and four. Well, Shaq, uh, this might be the first time in MMA history that we have a minus uh, 600 line for someone who is 3-7 inside an octagon. Do you think this is justified? And will you ever consider playing Jody Escabel after the stunt she pulled last time? Uh, not at all, man. You know, I, I don't want to say I agree to that extent, but I do think Hill's going to get the win here. You know, I think Jody, you know, she just doesn't respond well to getting hit, man. I don't think she likes getting hit. I think that she's a little timid in that octagon. And Hill, although I think she's, she, you know, it's very disappointing to see where she's at in her career. I think it's at a different level. You know, I think she's losing to girls that are ranked in the top 15, like Courtney Casey, Randa Marcos, as where, you know, uh, Jody's getting 30-27 by Jessica Aguilar. So, you know, I got Hill in this fight by a unanimous decision, and uh, I don't think Jody's live at all. Ian, what's your opinion, man? Because uh, Jody hasn't quite put it together here inside the octagon yet, but uh, Angela Hill is taking it on short notice. We don't know what kind of shape she's in, uh, and the line is ridiculous. What are you thinking? Um, I don't think even if Angela Hill fought Helen Keller, the line should be as crazy as it is. <laughs> and that's not a knock on her. It's just more along the lines of, Let's be real with ourselves for a second, right? She has not even come close to perform to where she should be at this point in her career. We've seen the same Angela Hill. Even when she went back to Invicta, we know how good she is at striking. Her takedown defense hasn't got better, yes. Her ground game is off her back is still below average at best. However, and honestly, I don't know how much she's been training or prepping or maybe this is a fight where she could have been parting her ass off for the last few pay-per-views you see how she tweets and maybe she's like you know what i can go in there and smoke this girl without even training and honestly i think shock pretty much said it best do i think escabel is a live dog not really I, I would say yes if she was like the seventh fight on this card and we were already like four and on the fights and i was like fuck it let's go put money on her but if, if this is the first fight on the card even the, in the beginning Man, it's so hard to take Escabel. She, I mean, getting getting d dominated by Aguilar at this point, it's not a knock on Aguilar either. She's she's still good, but 
you know, this is the one fight that Angela Hill's lack of evolution in her game is not going to matter. I do think she wins this fight also. How she's going to win the fight, I think she might even finish it. Her striking is pretty good, but this is a gross fight. I'll take, I'll take Angela Hill just because Escobar's so bad. Man, you know, Jody Escobel burnt us bad. Obviously, in hindsight, you know, why the fuck would we ever bet on Jody Escobel? But I was convinced literally anyone could beat Jessica Aguilar in 2018. And it turns out uh, that wasn't the case. Jody Escobel pulled a stunt and a half. And now she's plus 450 as a result. And look, here's the reality. Uh, you guys said it best. Angela Hill hasn't been performing, but she's still on a higher level than Jody Escobel. And even though, you know, we saw her in the bar in Atlanta last week, even though she's taking this off the couch, even though she got finished in the first round, Less than a month ago, she still should have enough to go out here and outstrike Jody Escobel. The way you could potentially make an argument for Jody is if Angela literally stares at her, and then it becomes a 50-50 fight. But if Angela lets it go like she normally does on the feet, I mean, she should come out here and get this win. So I'm going to go with uh, Angela Hill as well, boys. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Court McGee's minus 175, and Diego Lima is plus 155. Court McGee is 19-7, and, and Diego Lima is 13-7. and seven. Well, Shaq, I got to know, man. Do you think Diego Lima's win over Chad LaPree was a one-hit wonder? Or do you think that's a sign of things to come and that maybe now he has the confidence to compete at this level? Man, it's hard to say because Diego, you know, early on was tagged as a, as a top prospect when he uh, made that first stint on the Ultimate Fighter. Things didn't really work out. You know, he took a few KO losses in the UFC, got cut, even got knocked out on the local scene. But in that tough house, we know that he's undefeated. He beat a bunch of UFC vets. And then uh, he comes in his UFC debut and his second return and gets absolutely dominated by Yushin Okami. You know, we think everything's uh, probably over. And then he gets a KO win over Lepre, who did get uh, KO'd previously in his fight before that. So, you know, is his confidence back? Who knows? You know, Court McGee, we know what he brings to the table. He's a tough guy. He's not going to quit. He's got good cardio. He's got a fairly good chin, but we know he is getting a little older. You know, we know he likes to move forward, pressure guys. And, you know, uh, he could possibly utilize a similar game plan to Okami. I don't know if he's got that same, you know, grappling control. But, you know, I think Diego's probably the better athlete from a betting perspective. I think it's dog or pass. But, uh, man, it's tough to say, man. I'll go with Court McGee by uh, a close decision one. Ian, I gotta know, man, uh, is Diego Lima about to get on his first UFC win streak here, or is uh, Court McGee going to retire with the win? I like Diego Lima in this fight, man. Listen, Shaq said everything correct. There, there's no question with everything you just mentioned about Diego Lima's situation. However, Court McGee is another person, and you know, it's funny, when I talk on my YouTube channel, when I've been on Anakin Florian, I talk to all these people, I tell everyone the biggest thing you gotta look for is the evolution uh, and the adaptation of how these guys just improve over the years. Court McGee has not gotten any better. There's nothing different about his game we haven't seen. This is someone who started off utilizing his striking to work his wrestling. Now we have a guy who uses his cardio to fulfill his striking and to grind out decisions that way, not even using his wrestling. Diego Lima's athleticism is better. Um, yes, Lapriz got knocked out before. You know what, though? I don't really want to go by that fight because it, you know, it was one hook. However, Lima has all the tools to win this fight. This actually works out, in my opinion, in his favor in regards to matchup and style because Court McGee will stand. I think Lima is stronger. I think he's going to be faster. I don't think McGee's going to have doesn't. Have, I don't think he's got the knockout power. Okay, even though Lima's chin is a little bit questionable, uh, and I think this is the t Diego. It's kind of sink or swim right now. Not that if he loses, he's done. But if you don't beat Court McGee, you don't belong in the UFC at this point. Shit or get off the pot. Make your move. Show everyone why you are a top prospect. 
represent that Lima name, okay, and move forward. If he just doesn't tense up and he lets loose, he, will, he could smoke McGee, okay? Court's not a stupid fighter. He has a high-level IQ. However, to Shaq's point, his age is definitely one of those that's showing. His quickness is not there. He doesn't utilize his wrestling anymore. I, don't, I think his wrestling, when he does, is way too telegraphed. Lima's takedown defense is good enough to keep it up. This is going to be a stand-up battle, and I'm taking athleticism over age. I think Diego Lima wins this fight. Honestly, I feel you, man. And I'm always rooting for Diego Lima. You know, he's from here in ATL and a very, very nice guy. But for whatever reason, hasn't been able to put it together inside the octagon. Maybe it's the pressure of, you know, being in his brother's shadow because his brother is obviously the fucking man over there in Bellator. And just worldwide, you, you bring him over to the UFC. Douglas Lima is a top 10 uh, UFC welterweight. But as far as uh, Diego Lima, man, I mean, you gotta you gotta put stock into that KO win. The reason why is because he never had that kind of result inside the octagon before. So he never had the confidence of uh, getting to climb on, to on top of that cage. I mean, his only win in about five UFC fights was he barely scraped out that one decision over Oliveira a million years ago in Brazil where, you know, he was doing a couple chicken dances. So now the fact that he was able to go out there, get a clean win, over the, the former tough winner and a guy who's pretty damn established in the UFC, a guy that went out there and beat Barbarena, that has to elevate Diego Lima's confidence. So, And as far as uh, Corey McGee's concerned, I think he's a little bit overvalued in this spot because I think the narrative going into the Alex Garcia fight was that Court's on his way up, but Alex Garcia is a guy who's had a you know, who's had one knee for the last five years, you know what I mean? So it wasn't that much of a surprise that Alex gassed out, you know, two minutes into the first round and Court was able to grind him out. So I actually think that this is the spot for Diego Lima to come out here and uh, put together his first UFC win streak. I'm hoping he does it, man. So I'm going to pick him here for the upset as well. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Jim Miller. He's minus 145 and Jason Gonzalez is plus 125. Jim Miller is 29 and 13, and Jason Gonzalez is 11 and 4. Well, Shaq, they're bringing in the six foot three Jason Gonzalez to fight Jim Miller, and you know for a fact Jim Miller picked this fight. You know Sean lets him pick who he wants to fight, and uh, last time he fought someone that wasn't on, you know, Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis, Trinaldo, Hooker. So last time he fought someone that wasn't a top 15, top 20 guy. He ran through them. That was Alex White. Now, this is the next time. Do you think uh, that's going to happen again, or do you think the length of Jason Gonzalez is too much? Yeah, it's a good fight. You know, Jim Miller, to be honest, I think he's better in every aspect of the game in comparison to Jason Gonzalez. You know, yeah, he's lost five out of his last six, but like you said, Poye, Hooker, Showtime, Trinaldo, Du Bronx, like top, uh, all those guys are top 15, I think, have been at some point. So, you know, Jason Gonzalez, when I look at his style, you know, he's 6'2", but he's really hunched over when he strikes. He's very chinny. He's one of these guys that, yeah, he can, he, you know, he can uh, create problems with his length a little bit. He is 6'2". You know, he'll land an occasional big strike. He is long. He's got the long chokes, but this guy's very chinny. And then even after he does have success on the feet, he puts himself in position to get taken down shortly thereafter. And uh, he finds himself in a bad spot. And, I mean, we watch his career, man. This guy's taken a lot of damage throughout, uh, even in the tough house against Abner Lavares, the Drew Dober knockout loss. Uh, I think, you know, as long as Jim doesn't get flashed by anything long uh, at range, I think Jim's better than Jason Gonzalez. I think he's got a way better ground game. I think Jim gets the job done here. I think this is a drop down in uh, competition. Ian, a lot of action's been coming in on the underdog, Jason Gonzalez. He hasn't fought since 2017, and he... 
I mean, besides uh, Gregor Gillespie, which, you know, I was about to say he hasn't seen this level of competition, but even though Gregor Gillespie is, you know, maybe not in the top 10, a lot of people do consider him to be top uh, top five prospect and potentially a future world champion. So I got to know him. You think Jason Gonzalez gets this upset or are you going for uh, the guy we love, Jim Miller? Well, no, number one, um, Gillespie is a step up in competition. I believe actually ahead of Jim Miller at this point in Jim Miller's career. However, I think the one thing that, I mean, Shaq, you, you hit every point that you could possibly hit really to, to give it Jim Miller the, the vote, which I do think Jim Miller wins this fight. Here's the biggest key, though. Does Jason Gonzalez possess anything that Jim Miller hasn't seen before? The answer is no. You know, he's fought Oliveira. He's fought tall. Everyone's taller than Jim Miller. You know, everyone's taller than Jim Miller. So what's the difference here? Um, I would say Gonzalez actually kind of impressed me in, again when he fought Gregor in regards to his toughness, you know, he did get himself out of a lot of jams, but you know, Gregor just, just was, was being, just fought his Gregor fights. And he's just so good. Um, because the size situation is concerning for me in regards to Jim, um, the athleticism as well. I just think Jim is too smart to let someone like Gonzalez beat him at this point in his career. I think the UFC is giving this to Jim pretty much for one or two reasons, either to get someone like Gonzalez that maybe they do value as a prospect, a good name like Jim Miller in the win column, or giving someone like Jim Miller probably his lowest competition to date, right? And with that, letting him maybe ride into the sunset with a, with a win. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to go Jim Miller because I do think he's going to follow the path of least resistance, which will be taking Gonzalez down. Uh, Miller's submission game is on top is still very, very strong. I like Jim Miller here. I really, I really hope Jim Miller wins. I've been a huge fan of him and his brother for a long time. I'm an East Coast, you know, New York, New Jersey guy. So I think Jim has the tools for this fight. I don't know if Gonzalez has anything Jim hasn't seen. That's really what's kind of getting to me. You know, the size to Shaq's point throws me off a little bit. But Jim's smart. He's not stupid. He's not going to try and get in a range boxing fight. We know what he's going to do. He's going to get inside. He's going to try and take him down. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see him sneak a uh, rare naked choke in, you know, in the middle of the first round. And I'm going to complete the hat trick, boys. I'm going to go with Jim Miller as well. Look, when this fight was first announced and I saw the betting line, I was interested in Jason Gonzalez. But then you watch the tape and it's like, man, like Shaq was saying, you know, he might rock you. And then 10 seconds later, two seconds later, he's on his back. And I feel like his performance in that Gregor Gillespie fight is vastly overrated, man. You know, it won fight of the night and people are acting like it was this back and forth fight. I saw a one-sided ass whooping in there, man. I mean, you're telling me a six foot three guy landed one uppercut in a fist fight. He got all his head kicks blocked, and now we're going to act like he had this great performance against Gregor Gillespie, which just wasn't the case, man. He got mauled bell to bell. So and then and that was the last time we saw him. I mean, ever since then he's been repairing his uh separated AC joint. In his, uh, in his shoulder, man. So, listen, I know Jim's uh, at the end of his career, but the last time he had this level of competition was Alex White, and he ran through him, man. So, uh, I see him uh, dangling off the neck of Jason Gonzalez and uh, getting a submission. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Gilbert Dorinho Burns. He's 14-3, and three, and Mike Davis is 7-1. and one. Currently, they got Gilbert Dorinho Burns minus 270. The comeback on Mike Davis is plus 230. Well, Shaq, we even went on record and said that Sodiq Yusuf versus Mike Davis was one of the best fights, if not the best fight, in Contender Series history. Well, now Mike Davis finally makes his UFC debut, and it's against no cupcake either. It's against uh, the perennial top 20, Gilbert Dorinho Burns, who seems like he's making improvements every fight. 
Yeah, maybe top 30. <laughs> Do you think Mike Davis is ready for this step up in competition? Mike Davis, I, I think I was on the record to say that I thought him and Sadiq should have got contracts that night. They were on Contender Series. So it's good to see him uh, get in the big show. Now, Gilbert Barron seems like he's been doing his thing lately, man. It look, seems like he's been getting better fight to fight. But, you know, uh, it seems like he's been getting really good at uh, timing that right hand and dropping these guys and then, you know, utilizing his jiu-jitsu and uh, overwhelming these guys. But really look at his uh, competition level, man. We're talking Jason Sago, not in the UFC. We're talking Dan Moret, uh, about, about, to, <laughs> about to not be in the UFC. And we're talking Olivier Bonmercier, who I've been on the record to say, you know, uh, back when uh, Hernandez was fighting Cowboy, you know, Hernandez was coming off that win against uh, OAM. I mean, look, I hate to say it, but OAM's broken, man. This, You know, he's, he's a Frenchie. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I'm not, it's a good win. It was a good win. He dominated him from bell to bell. But, you know, it's more of the same. You know, it's like uh, Gilbert doesn't like getting hit. I still agree with that. I still think that uh, he has the the tendency to get overwhelmed by volume. And then against these guys that he's been fighting, like Dan Moret and Sago and, you know, Sayuski and, and these guys, he's able to uh, do his thing. And, you know, I feel like Mike Davis, low-key, is a step up in competition. If you watch that fight with Sadiq Yusuf, personally, I think Sadiq Yusuf's uh, the top prospect out of 145 pounds. The fact that he didn't get knocked out... Uh, in that fight was very impressive he showed his toughness and uh he had moments in that fight as well i think he's a long striker and i think he creates a lot more uh problems in comparison to gilbert's past opponents now of course gilbert's got the advantage on the mat and the big question here what if he uh decides to shoot but you know when you look at his takedown accuracy it's only 37 percent. i think he shoots from really far out at times and, uh, you know, I think Davis knows how to use range. I think he knows how to be patient and not uh, get caught with that return shot like Gilbert likes to do. So I think Mike Davis is a really live underdog, even though he's making his UFC debut. Kind of bounces back uh, back and forth from 45 and 55. I personally think he's going to be better at 55 without that big weight cut. So I actually think there's da uh, value on Davis in this spot. You know, he's like plus 230. Uh, I still think Gil doesn't like getting hit. We saw that in the hooker fight. What happened when long guy stood in the pocket, a real striker, a uh, higher level striker and uh hooker was able to take him out in round one of course there's a chance gilbert does his thing here but you know I'll, I'll go with the upset i'll take davis bold pick from Shaq. uh ian i gotta know man are you going with the experience of uh gilbert dorino burns are you going with the newcomer mike davis all right so this is, this is uh here's my thing right if there was a full training camp here for mike davis i know he stays in shape right like, let me tell you something from, from being in this world for a really long time, that, that there's a big difference in being in shape and being in fight shape, training for someone specifically. And, you know, you know, it, it's funny. We talk about guys past opponents. First off, I don't think OAM was that bad. He was on quite a fight streak and then he lost, you know, we're talking about a guy that was winning the fights that they were putting in front of them. Was he knocking people out? I mean, he finished Evan Dunham at the time and Dunham was on a, you know, a winning streak and everyone was like saying, oh, Dunham is getting his second win in his career. And then OAM comes in and finished him, which obviously no one was expecting in regards to the way he is, his style is. Um, if you remember that Dan Hooker fight, number one, I don't think Dan Hooker is actually a better striker per se than Gilbert Burns. If you watch what Dan Hooker does, he's a little wild. And if you remember, Gilbert Burns actually dropped him first, you know, Hooker then recovered and dropped Burns. That's why the fight was so fucking insane. You know, and that's why when I talked about the fight with Barboza, I was loving that Barboza was an underdog because everyone was overvaluing Hooker way too fast. I think we're overlooking Burns here a little bit. Guys, you got to remember something here. And, Shaq, you made a lot of great points, but remember, 
you're, you're, I think you're focusing a lot on Mike Davis's stand-up game and the uh, Yosef fight. Listen, I know you guys are big on that guy, but he, but in his last fight, he was tested by someone that shouldn't have given him that much. I mean, we're talking about that fight went to the third round. This guy who's being built up so much, I would, I would kind of, I, I can't go against Burns in this fight. So, Dan, to your, to your question, I'm going with the experience. I'm going with somebody that has a lot of potential. Forget, remember, in that Sago fight, if you guys look back, a lot of people were picking Sago. I wasn't, um, but they were. And obviously, Moretz probably on the way out also, you know. Um, but Burns is a very well-rounded fighter if he can put it together. He's in the right camp, okay? And in this situation, I just don't see Davis being able to stop takedowns. Yes, Gilbert does have a tendency to shoot from far away, but that's after he's getting overwhelmed and tagged. I don't know. And Davis's boxing game is really strong. I just don't see a guy coming in on short notice and destroying someone like Burns, especially in a weight class that Burns has been in for a long time. The bounce back and forth, you're right. That weight cut, um, him not having to do it, may be good. We don't know how much he's really cutting right now. Remember, he wasn't in the fight camp. But not all weight cuts not doing it do well. Sometimes guys aren't. I mean, look at Max Holloway. Everyone thought he was going to be the man at 55 because he didn't have to cut all that weight. Well, his power wasn't there, you know, and he wasn't able to take damage as much. Gilbert, if he lands, we know he's a fucking powerhouse in that weight class. I, I, do I think that Davis is a live dog? Yeah, I can't say he's not because his stand-up game is very good, and Gilbert does tend to sometimes throw caution to the wind and get rocked. But I think Gilbert Burns is going to be smart here. He does not want to lose to a guy making his debut at this point in his career. I think Gilbert takes his fight to the ground. Um, if he wants to be an asshole, he's risking getting knocked out, but I, I, he's got a pretty good coaching staff behind him. This fight's going to the ground. I think that'll be... Uh, Gilbert Burns is going to win this fight. Yeah, I mean, listen, if Gilbert Burns is going to win this fight, I would prefer, you know, if I was betting on Gilbert on Gilbert Burns, I'd prefer for him to get it to the mat ASAP because I know he's tested his stand-up against some of these guys like you guys mentioned, you know, Lucas Saevsky and Jason Sago and Dan Moret and OAM. And I, I know you gave OAM a little credit, man, but uh, I, I, I'm actually not that high on him either, man. You know, we used to know OAM for having that super hard body kick. You cringe when you hear the sound of that body kick. And it seems like the last couple of fights, uh, that shit ain't been happening, man. Because after he knocked out Evan Dunham with that knee, and we all know Dunham's been weak to the body for a long-ass time. We also know Dunham retired one fight later. You know, after he knocked him out with that knee, the next fight against Hernandez, you know, he's got bodyguards at the media day. He's uh, got the Canadian-French gangster gimmick going on. And then uh, he got broken his next two fights in a row. So I really do believe that Gilbert Burns was a beneficiary of someone who, I mean, OAM bought his own hype, man. That's the, you know, he saw the number 12 ranking next to his name, and now he's got a mustache and two bodyguards at the media day, you know, so... And, and, and two L's uh, to follow, you know what I'm saying? And he's out the rankings. So I, I'm not impressed with with, uh, with the OAM win. But here's the deal. You're 100% right about this being on short notice. Is he ready for this opportunity? I do know for a fact that he's been in the gym because uh, one of my friends, Jared Gooden, did go down to uh, Fusion XL with Julian Williams, Mike Perry, Jacare, Alex Nicholson, and Mike Davis. And he said some of the best rounds he got in there were with Mike Davis. So I know he's been in the gym. And I also think that, 
you know, this weight class change. Uh, people are acting like, you know, this is a small guy going up, like Gil's going to be the bigger man. And that's just not the case. Actually, Mike Davis is going to be the bigger man. I don't know how he makes 45, but interestingly enough, he's fought at lightweight uh, four times. This will be his fifth lightweight fight. So it's not like this is his first time at the weight class. Uh, that being said, so this fight stays standing. Uh, no doubt about it, Gilbert Burns has a very hard right hand. And if he lands clean on anyone's chin, he can put them down. But skill for skill in the boxing, I mean, it's not close, man. I mean, Mike Davis is a professional boxer, undefeated. Also a professional kickboxer, undefeated. And obviously you saw the war he had with, with Sodiq Youssef. And and I respectfully disagree with you, Ian, about uh, Shaman Marais. I think Shaman, even though he took that L to Zabit, who many people consider to be a future title contender, I, I personally don't think Zabit's a future champion, but a lot of people consider him to be a future champion. I mean, Shaman only lost to Marlon Marais, Zabit, and Sodiq Youssef. So all guys that people are talking about in either the title picture right now or down the line. So I don't, I don't think that... You know, him getting tested that early was a bad sign, man. You dropped him in the third round, it was 1-1. But back, but back to this fight. If this shit stays standing, for whatever reason, when you put that volume and that pressure on Gilbert Burns, he's not a natural striker. He closes his eyes. You know, he hopes for that one big right hand to land. And sometimes it will, you know, if you're Jason Sago or OAM. But Mike Davis is going to slip that shit. So it comes down to, can uh, Gilbert Burns get on top? Can he dangle off that neck? Well, I know for a fact Mike Davis... uh does have a wrestling background, so he does have a nice sprawl, but it's about it's about the decision-making now, you know? Is uh, is he going to sprawl and then try to take Gil's back and then, you know, cause a scramble and Gil will get on top in that situation? Or is he going to sprawl and try to get back up, you know, and make him stand with him? So it really comes down to his decision-making. But that being said, man, you give me a plus 230, you give me a plus 250, I might be willing to take that chance because I do think that he is that talented. So will he get it done? Uh, I understand why Gil is favored here, but... As a gambling man, I'm kind of interested in Davis here, so I'm gonna pick him for the for the upset here. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Verna Jandiroba. She's minus 125, and Carla Esparza is plus 105. Verna Jandiroba is 14 and 0, and Carla Esparza is 13 and 6. Shaq, uh, you think the undefeated uh, former Invicta champion is about to come out here and beat the former UFC champion? We got a we got a strawweight fight, man. You think? Esparza, she's uh, coming off two L's against Gedalia, Tatiana. I think both of them are top five, uh, top five in the world. And Jandaroba, she's coming in from Invicta, where personally I think she's got an inflated 14 and 0 record. You know, I think uh, she's been beating a lot of inexperienced uh, soccer moms, man. So I think Jandaroba's definitely got jujitsu skills. She's definitely a black belt. I just think Carla Esparza's fought the better competition. We're talking Marco Suarez, Gadelia, Calvillo, uh, Rose, Joanna, Rose, Joanna, uh, Morose, you know, even that. So, like, although I think uh, Jinder is going to go on to have a good career in the UFC, I, th I still think even though Carla Esparza's coming off two losses, I do think she's been making improvements in her game. I think her last fight, look, Suarez seems like she's about to fight for the title here as soon as she can get uh, this next one against Ansaroff. And uh, Gadelia, you know, that fight could have went either way. Yeah, she got out-muscled by a much larger chick. I just think is a different level athlete than uh, Jandaroba. I think is more of a, she doesn't really like to throw punches. She doesn't like to take punches. She just likes to buy time for the takedowns. Uh, yeah, Carla has been taken down in the past, but I just think that's a, a different type of uh, athlete. Suarez and Gadelia, you know what I'm saying? So I think uh, the newcomer is kind of getting overvalued in this spot, man. So I'm going to go with Esparza on the upset. Ian, I got to know, man, you going with the former Invicta champion or the former UFC champion? 
Oh, Shaq said this 100%, right? I, I don't even know if there's anything left to say. I, you, you know, if you're going to go based on Esparza's losses, Tatiana Suarez is 100% a future champion. Claudia Gadea is a beast. She'll always remain in the top four until she hangs him up. And, and uh, Esparza gave her a hell of a fight. That came down to the athleticism at the end, and it could have gone either way. I was shitting my pants because I had, you know, Gadea that whole fight. I, I think Esparza wins. I, I really hate when they bring these women over from Invicta that are 14-0, and 0, and they overvalue them. And Esparza, look who she's fought. I mean, I don't even want to repeat everything you said, Shaq, because honestly, I don't want to take anything away from you. Dude, you hit that on the fucking head. This is Esparza's fight to lose. Um, I- I'm very surprised they're actually throwing in the newcomer with her this early. I think it's a bad move to try to promote fresh new blood. I mean, you're going to promote the champ from Invicta. Give her someone that's not going to put her on her back. Esparza is not getting submitted from the top. That's the one thing I'll tell you, you know, and that's the only thing maybe Shaggy might have left out um, because everything else you hit was really spot on. As far as that, it's not going to get submitted from the top. She's a better wrestler. I think her experience, based on the competition, like Shaq said, I got as far as all day in this fight. Yeah, this might be like uh, the women's version of Ricky Simone versus Haniaya. You got the wrestler and Carla Esparza that's going to look to keep this on the feet, actually. Because her boxing has improved. I mean, we used to laugh, you know, Cookie Monster. We thought it was this joke. But she's been improving, man, even in these L's. You know, a couple weeks ago we were talking about how Khalil was taking a couple L's, but we still saw some improvement compared to his earlier UFC career. I feel the same way about uh, Carla Esparza, man. You know, that Claudio Gadelia fight that arguably went her way. I mean, in my opinion, I scored it for, for Carla Esparza. And the Tatiana fight, look, I mean, I was wrong about Tatiana in the past, but now I, I, I agree that, you know, she's either going to challenge for the title or potentially be a future world champion. And just the physicality, I mean, it was two wrestlers going against each other. One was way bigger than the other. And with... Uh, with Jandaroba, I mean, look, I respect her Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Obviously, if you're betting on Carla, you do not want Jandaroba to take her back or to get on top of her. You know, we don't know what's going to happen if that's the case, but I do think that Carla Esparza's wrestling background and her UFC experience are going to play dividends here. So I'm going to pick her uh, to win by decision. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Augusto Sakai. He's minus 145. And Andre, the OG Pitbull Arlovsky, is plus 125. Augusto Sakai is 12 and 1. Andre Arlovsky is 27 and 18. Well, Shaq, uh, Arlovsky is like the little engine that could, man. I mean, the guy keeps trucking along. Here he is taking another fight, but it seems like nowadays they are feeding. I don't know, not feeding him, but they're testing uh, their newer prospects uh, against Arlovsky these days. Do you think Augusto Sakai passes the test? Yeah, this is a this is a good fight, you know. Sakai, this guy's fought Czech Congo and Bellator before. You know, he's been in a a, a few big fights. Uh, his fight with Chase Sherman that was a, a pretty good performance. You know, Sherman's job was on the line. He came through uh, as the favorite in that spot. Arlovsky, we uh, bet on him against him in his last fight against Walt Harris. Split decision. Arlovsky, look. <laughs> He's 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 changed his style a little bit. He definitely doesn't exchange as much as he used to because we know we know why his chin uh, can't last. And you know, his, when you really look at his last few wins, we're talking about Stefan Struve, who's retired now, and we're talking about Junior Baby Albini, who uh, man, how many else does Junior have in a row? Three. I feel like the big worry in this fight is what happens if it goes to decision. You know, what happens if this is a slow fight? Even if it's a slow fight, Andre's lost his last three decisions. So fading Andre long-term, you know, generally works out. I mean, what's his uh, UFC record? I don't know, but he's 2-8 and eight in his <laughs> last 10. Exactly. So although I feel like, I honestly feel like Sakai has the possibility to knock him out. We're talking about a guy who cuts the 265. And I feel like a lot of, in uh, Arlovsky's recent fights, man, these guys... 
he, he kind of makes the fight look a lot closer than what it really is. You know, he's able to, you know, maneuver in the clinch a little bit and stall and kill time and just make things uh, look a little closer. But he still loses. He's putting him uh, putting himself in a position to not do enough when it goes to the scorecards. That's why he's been losing the decision. So I think the same thing's going to happen here. But I do think there's a possibility of a knockout. I mean, Andre hasn't gotten knocked out in a while. And we know at heavyweight, anything can happen. Yes, yeah, Sakai does stand right in front of him. He's not the fastest. And and he has had uh, moments of inactivity in uh, Bellator in that Czech Congo fight. But, you know, the way he looked in his last fight, I think he's got a slow, methodical style to maintain it if he shows up. And I think he can put Arlovsky away or just uh, land the harder shots throughout the three rounds, you know, get more wobbles. So I think uh, Sakai wins this fight by decision or knockout. Ian, what are you thinking for this heavyweight fight, man? You going with Arlovsky or Sakai? It's just so hard to bet on Arlovsky at this point. You know, it's uh, to Shaq's point, he keeps losing decisions. Um, it, it's, he's not changing his game up to advance. It, it's amazing that they've let him hang around this long. I guess in his last few fights, he's been losing by decision. He hasn't really taken that much damage, um, but we have seen him in the past really take a lot of damage. His chin is really not where it used to be, obviously. And a guy like Sakai has got a lot of power. Um, I have a hard time taking Arlovsky. I almost want to see him lose by decision and walk away at this point. I feel like he's proven everything. He's, he's been the champ before. He surprised a lot of people in the Travis Brown fight when he was supposed to get demolished. And now it's supposed to be Travis's comeback situation. Um, I'm surprised the line is as close as it is, to be honest with you. Not saying that Sakai is the be-all, end-all. It's just where Arlovsky really at, is at in his career. Um, he fought better against – I think the fight against Walt Harris was more, more Walt Harris being – overly conservative, just trying to guarantee himself a win, you know, and, and not really going for it because when Arlovsky does hit you, you feel it. But I, I'm with Shaq. I got Sakai in this fight. As much as I'd like to see Arlovsky win and retire, I just don't really see that for him anymore. Um, you know, it's just it, it, the way he fights, it's just too predictable. He's too hittable. You know, it's amazing that he's able to go three rounds. His cardio is still all right. It's just I just don't see him winning this fight. I just, like I said, I think him being too predictable, he's slow. I got to tie in this fight also. Yeah, I mean, look, if you fit Andre Arlovsky pretty much every fight, you will be up. I mean, look, he's 2-8 and eight in his last 10. I respect the guy. I mean, former UFC world champion, still trucking along to this day. The fights are close decisions, but I mean, when we bet on Walt Harris, like you guys said, it wasn't because Andre did something Walt great. Walt, Walt, for whatever reason, doesn't pull the trigger in his big fights. I don't, I don't know what it is, man. I didn't tell him not to pull the trigger that night, and hey, he still won a split decision. And with Augusto Sakai, uh, I, I feel like he's been getting a lot of heat from from the fans that oh, his technique is this, it's that, it's ugly. I mean, honestly, I think his Muay Thai is kind of solid, man. I mean, he might sit back for a minute at a time, but when it's time to go, I mean, he mixes his punches to his kicks very nicely. I mean, I can tell the guy's been putting in work, uh, you know, with that Muay Thai. And obviously, uh, his ground game ain't half bad either. You saw him finish uh, Chase Sherman with that ground and pound, so... And he knocked him down prior to that as well. I know it's Chase Sherman, but so what, man? I mean, is is Andre Andre's lost fucking eight of his last ten? So you know what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Sakai here, and I mean, I guess I'll look like an idiot if Andre wins, but I think the line could be a, a little bit wider as well. And next up in the welterweight division, we got Takashi Sato. He's minus two ten, and Ben Saunders is plus one seventy five. Takashi Sato is 14-2, and two, and Ben Killaby Saunders is 22-11. and 11. Well, Shaq, uh, Takashi Sato, you know, interestingly enough, he had that war with Glaco Franza in Pancrase. 
we took notice of him there. We were like, man, this guy is very tough. He tried out for the team in Singapore. It didn't work out. But now he's making his UFC debut against uh, Ben Saunders. Uh, I respect Ben a lot, but you think he can turn back the clock and get one more win here, or is it uh, is it canvas nap time? Man, I'm looking forward to this fight uh, a lot, man. It looks like there's a lot of back-and-forth action, you know, a lot of different opinions. Sato... Seems like he's uh, definitely earned his way in the company. Like you said, he fought Glyco Franca, got tapped out. He had a very exciting last fight. He got dropped in that fight and ended up coming back and winning. But, you know, Ben Saunders, I'm a fan. I, I love his attitude. I love his spirit. You know, I love his knees in the clinch. But, man, when you really think about all the KO losses he's had, man, we're talking Douglas Lima twice, Cote, Juban, Sabata, who had zero KOs at that point, Lyman. I know you remember that Sook one back in the day. <laughs> Douglas I mean, twice. <laughs> I mean, he's had some brutal, brutal KO losses. And I, I think, uh, you know, skill-wise, in comparison to Sato, this is one of Ben's easier fights. Like like all the guys I just said, all those guys are, you know, a lot better than Sato. I, You know, if I had to compare Sato to someone, I, I would compare him to Keitaro. You know what I'm saying? Like, how comfortable, not saying that, you know, they're the same fighter, but like that level fighter, you know what I'm saying? How comfortable would you feel like if Keitaro was fighting uh, Ben Saunders? So I, I got to go with Sato. Like I said, I think Ben, uh, honestly, like, like, I've discussed with you in the past. I, I think he uh, can hang him up like, uh, you know, he was saying about Arlovsky. You know, I feel like the damage he's taken is really bad. But, you know, I feel like in this particular matchup, Ben might be a little, uh, might be conscious a little longer in comparison to these last few fights. I mean, Lyman good. I mean, that guy, just look at the muscles in that guy. And uh, just the guys he's been fighting are way better than Sato. So although I do think Ben is going to be conscious and he might even make it to the third round, I think it's going to be real back and forth. I wouldn't be surprised if Sato got wobbled either. He is chinny as well. But, you know, I think he'll use his uh, in and out movement to eventually land a straight left or something around Ben's ears or eventually Ben will wobble. But I think it's going to be a great fight. But I got to go with Sato. Ian, man, you going with uh, Ben Saunders to go out on a win, or you think the newcomer's going to win by KO? Dude, I think the only reason why Ben Saunders is, in this, is on this card is because he's fighting in his backyard. You know, he, uh, he, this is literally where he lives. I know he trains in Orlando now. It, it's tough, man. It's tough to see a guy like that who I thought had so much promise from the show. Just because you don't see too many guys of that size at welterweight with that frame that are so good at kickboxing and tie. And then on the ground, they're so flexible and their jujitsu is so creative as he keeps evolving. <clears throat> it's just, it's crazy to me that a guy with that type of ground game um, is so willing to just not utilize his range. I mean, what was it against Ellenberger? Was that the last time that he uh, did that? Every other fight, he's getting knocked out here and dropped there. And it's like, it doesn't take a whole lot. Again, it's, it's you know, other than Arlovsky is losing by decision, Ben's literally getting crushed in all these fights. You got a guy making, you know, who's coming in is hungry. It's hard not to go with the favorite here. It, it's, it's also really hard to bet on Ben and really think that he's going to all of a sudden change his style just to try and conservatively get him Because If that was the case, I would try and get, you know, take the guy down and get on top and work your top game and use your legs and be flexible. Um, I, I'm going Sato here. I, I just, I can't take Ben for all the reasons that Shaq said, everything that I'm agreeing with him on. Um, I, I just hope he doesn't get knocked out. Yeah, man. I mean, look, Takashi Sato making his UFC debut. He kind of has a the southpaw karate style. Doesn't take too many unnecessary risks, but he is a one of the, one of these Japanese warriors. If he was around, uh, you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, he would have been in pride. You know, he's he's one of those guys, man. He's very very tough, blood and guts. I mean, every time he fights, it's always back and forth and. 
tends to knock these guys out. I mean, he took that setback to Glaco Franza, and I mean, that's a respectable loss. Glaco won the Ultimate Fighter, and his only UFC losses were to James Vick and Gregor Gillespie, and uh, Takashi Sato went to the fourth round with him, so that was a respectable loss, and you know, his wins, I mean, they're all they're all fun to watch. It hasn't been the same level of competition as Ben Saunders, and Ben probably is the more skilled guy. But, man, that chin of Ben Saunders is going to let him down once again. And it's sad to watch, man, because the guy is very, very skilled. Like you mentioned, his rubber guard, his jujitsu off his back, the elbows from his guard, also the knees and the tie clinch. I like the fact that he's always throwing that body kick. I mean, Ben Saunders is a very fun guy to watch. He's paid his dues the whole bit. But, man, he keeps getting knocked out every single fight. And even the ones he doesn't get knocked out, like like Kenny Roberts, man, that was uh, that was bad. You know, he basically got knocked out there. You know what I mean? So, uh, listen, I got to go with Takashi Sato. At some point, he will catch uh, Ben Saunders and knock him out. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Roosevelt Roberts. He's 7-0. and And Thomas Gifford, he's 17-7. and Currently, they got Roosevelt Roberts minus 450. The comeback on Thomas Gifford is plus 360. Well, Shaq, a uh, very wide line. Obviously, the undefeated Roosevelt Roberts. Listen, it's always time to take that first L. The question is, is that going to happen here uh, against the much more experienced Thomas Gifford? Yeah, man, they're pushing Roosevelt real hard. I, I can't go against Roosevelt, man. I think Gifford definitely earned his way here. You know, I hear he's been training at Factory X. He's got 24 pro fights, so he's definitely got experience on uh, Roosevelt. Like you said, it's always first L time but you know they're actually very similar you know they both like to well Gifford really likes these uh long chokes and I mean he's really good at them so Roosevelt's definitely got to be on his p's and q's but Roosevelt can do the same thing and the fact that he did that to Horcher in that fashion you know Horcher even though he had a losing record he did have you know he went three rounds with the uh, Holtzman you know he uh had the fight with Khabib, got a UFC win. So the fact that he ran through him like that, I was actually very impressed. So I, I think uh, this one might be a little different just because Gifford's really long and he, you know, the length can create a little problems. But I think Roosevelt gets a late finish here. Ian, you going with uh, the hype prospect that they're trying to push, Roosevelt Roberts, or uh, you going with the newcomer Thomas Gifford? I think the line's a little, a little high for, um, you know, Someone like uh, Roosevelt, but uh, again, Shaq, you, you keep hitting all the points, so it's hard to really uh, throw any additional stuff. But listen, Gifford's earned his way. Sometimes it's kind of hard, though, to call it experience when he's fighting outside the organization. Unless you're fighting in Bellator or in one, you know, or even World Series of Fighting or Pro, whatever, whatever the hell it's called at this point, you know, it's more along the lines of when you get, it depends on the level of competition. If you're fighting in some of these independent circuits, uh, companies and organizations and you're fighting guys that just got bounced from one of the major organizations then to me the experience matters I, I think Roosevelt Roberts he, I just think he's a better prospect at the moment Gifford's been around longer to your point Jack. I just it's hard to not take Roberts here um listen anything could happen I don't think he gets his first L with this one I, I just think he's just a better overall fighter um can he get caught in the choke of course but when you know that that's really Gifford's really only path to victory, you stay away from it. And I, I think I think Robert's got this one. Yeah, I mean, look, Thomas Gifford definitely paid his dues to get to the UFC. Had a bunch of fights on the regional scene. One of these guys that at one point lost uh, three fights in a row, rebounded. So, I mean, he's done the whole bit, man. And also, you got to look out for his guillotine choke because at one point he did win three fights in a row via, via guillotine. And he also... Uh, did that in the past as well. You got to look out for his triangle choke. So as long as 
Roosevelt doesn't go out here super cocky, you know, coming off the couch thinking that this guy's a complete joke. I mean, he's just too athletic for him. And I feel like you guys said he does what Gifford does, just better, way better. I mean, it's spectacular when you see Roosevelt Roberts out there. And he's only 7-0. and And uh, how old is this guy? Let's see real quick. He's 25, so he's just a kid and he's developing. And not to mention, for a lightweight, he's six foot one, very tall, lightweight, 73 inch reach. So, man, I feel like there's a lot of raw potential. This kid hasn't even scratched the, the surface yet. And I feel like Thomas Gifford is a perfect opponent to, to give him a little bit of a test and to see him kind of take it to that next level. So, I, I like uh, Roosevelt Roberts in this matchup as well. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got John Lineker. He's 31-8, and eight, and Corey Sanhagen is 10-1. and one. Currently, they got John Lineker minus 145. The comeback on Corey Sanhagen is plus 125. Ian, I'm going to let you go first on this one, man. Obviously, John Lineker was awesome at flyweight, is even better at Bantamweight, and Corey Sanhagen, he's the super prospect, but this is a massive step up in competition. Do you think he's ready to dance under the bright lights with hands of stone? No. <laughs> um, not that he's not ready to dance with someone like Lineker, but you know, it, it's, it's a weird bump in competition for me. I think there would have been some other fights. I think maybe one or two more fights before something like this outside of the top guys outside of really PJ Dillashaw and maybe one or two others. Like, you know, when Sam Hagen said that he's a better version of Dominic Cruz, I don't know if you guys heard him say that, that, that was his claim to fame. My opinion is that TJ Dillashaw was the much better version of Dominic Cruz in regards to the movement and stuff. And the difference was TJ was a better wrestler. I don't think Corey's a better wrestler than TJ. I, I think when these guys come in here and they see someone like TJ Dillashaw, minus the uh, EPO and everything else, God knows what he was on. All right. When you go against a guy like Lineker, Lineker, however the hell you pronounce it. All right. You're going to go in there and you guys, everyone thinks, oh, dude, this guy's all hands. He's just going to swing away, swing away. Dude can eat shots. He's also, his takedown defense has gotten better. His submission game is pretty decent. I don't know if, Sam, if Corey has really going to show something that Lineker hasn't seen. And I also don't think that Corey has fought anyone that hits at this weight like Lineker. And I think he's going to get tagged early. Um, I think it's going to be way too predictable. You know, I know his movement is very back and forth, kind of like Dominic Cruz. But with his, with, his, with his wrestling, you know, you could see it coming from a mile away. Lineker smells blood. Man, I, I just, I'm very surprised the line is where it's at. You know, um, maybe, you know, the whole super prospect thing. You want to know some guys? I don't really believe in the whole super prospect thing. You know, and I'll tell you why. And, I, and I'll make it quick. To me, Israel Adesanya was a super prospect. You know, one of the, when he proved he was a super prospect? His last fight against Calvin Gaslam. Because up until then, beating Brad Tavares, okay, Derek Brunson, an 85-year-old non-steroid Anderson Silva, that doesn't, that doesn't make you really title shot contender worthy. I would have loved to see an Israel fight. I mean, he fought Kelvin, obviously. Fight a Yoel Romero. Fight a Paulo Costa. Fight a Chris Weidman. Fight a Luke Rockhold, even though Rockhold jumped. Um, I think I think Corey's going to be very surprised when he gets hit by someone like Lineker at this weight class. I'm going Lineker. I, I, think, uh, I think Corey does have the athletic ability to make this work, but Dude, Lineker just surprised me with his cardio. I do think he keeps getting better and better overall. It's hard to bet against him at only minus 145. Real quick, Ian. You said uh, TJ Dillashaw was the best bantamweight of all time. Uh, you know Dominic Cruz beat TJ Dillashaw, right? I never said that. I didn't say he was the best of all time. I said that I thought TJ was a be – that Corey said he was a better version of Dominic Cruz. And I said the only person 
that I felt was a better version of Dominic Cruz was T.J. Dillashaw. Yes, I am aware that Dominic Cruz did beat him in that decision, which if you scored that fight, I scored that fight for T.J. doesn't really matter either which way. Um, I didn't say that T.J. is the best fan of all time. If I did say that, it's not what I meant. I meant that in regards to the style, who took Dominic's style and pretty much evolved it with T.J. Dillashaw. So that, 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 that was where I was going with that. My fault. I didn't mean to twist your words or anything. But when I heard better no, version good. of Cruz, I was like, but wait, but Cruz beat him. So No, but it's all good. I feel where yeah. you're coming from. But Shaq, yeah. Lineker and Sanhagen, I mean, this fight, they've been trying to make it for a while. Now it's finally going to happen. Uh, is Sanhagen ready at this point right now to defeat John Lineker? Yeah, I mean, he had, uh, he had some good points, man. Uh, I feel like Sanhagen probably could have had a couple more fights before this. He was actually supposed to fight Thomas Almeida first. You know, I feel like that would have probably been a better step. But, hey, they think he's ready for... Uh, they think he's ready for Hands of Stone. And, you know, Hands of Stone, this is a guy that at one point in his career was ranked number two in the world when he fought TJ Dillashaw. So, I mean, he's seen the top of the mountain. He's fought some of the best of the best. And he's definitely got the experience here. You know, it seems like in Sanhagen's three fights and two of them, I mean, let's be honest here. He was just out there having fun against Austin Arnett and uh, a newcomer in Mario Bautista. Definitely showed some good skills. You definitely don't see submissions like that too often. And Lineker has shown a weakness on the mat in the past. But like you said on the feet, man, I do have concerns if, if he can take the power of a Hands of Stone. You know, we've seen Hands of Stone in similar matchups like this in the past against prospects like Marlon Vera. And, you know, the power overwhelmed them. Let's not forget the Robbie Font fight back in the day in Brazil. I mean... I mean, he broke Robbie Font to the point where he was uh, flopping to his back against the cage. So, And Rob Font's a top 10 guy. So this guy has seen and, and, and done it all in comparison to Corey Sanhagen. You know, the only concern I would have is if Corey Sanhagen, Sanhagen got on top, that Yuri Alcantara fight, the amount of ground and pound that he got off was definitely very impressive. And the reason I bring that up is because in the TJ Dillashaw fight, when TJ Dillashaw got on top of Lineker, we saw the amount of ground and pound he got off there. And Lineker wasn't able to get up, and that's been a, a weakness in this game. So, you know, can the poor man's version of TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen, you know, utilize the same game plan? Man, it takes a lot of discipline to fight a guy like Lineker. Because when he starts moving forward and, you know, going to the body and the head, one mistake, Yuri kind of closed that distance on Sanhagen very fast and, and dropped him, you know, prior to the uh, to the chaos on the mat. So I got to go with Lineker here. I do think Sanhagen's got the skills to win if he, if he, you know, fights super disciplined, if he fights smart. But it's hard to gauge that with the opponents that he's been fighting. I think he's got the, the mental capacity to do it, but I got to go with the experience. Lineker's just fought fought too many tough fights, earned his way here. I honestly think he could be ranked higher than number eight. Like I said, he was number two in the world at one point. And uh, I just think he's too experienced for Sanhagen. Yeah, look, I got a ton of respect for Sanhagen, but going from fighting Mario Bautista to John Lineker is probably the biggest step up in competition I've ever seen. Maybe besides, you know, Pat Cummins going to the regional scene and then fighting Daniel Cormier, right? But you know what I mean? It's just right up there with that kind of step up, man, because, you know, this kid... Corey Sanhagen, very exciting to watch, but he's never seen or felt anything like this in his life, man. Uh, you know, he styled on Austin Arnett how you're supposed to. He overcame some serious adversity uh, against uh, Yuri Alcantara, who's a fighter I've had a lot of respect for for a long time. And then he ran through Mario Bautista how you're supposed to. But, man, the thing here is I know people are going to talk about the height and the reach advantage, but everyone's got a height and reach advantage over uh, John Lineker, so it's really not that big of a deal. And this kind of... Even though this guy has a very different style than Robbie Font, he kind of has that same feel to it, man, where 
You know, Rob Font was the hot prospect, but at the time he hadn't really fought anything. He was still developing. Had to pay his dues inside the UFC. Had to take that first UFC L. I think uh, Corey Sanhagen's got a very bright future, but I think he's got to take his first UFC L too. And as far as what's actually going to go down when these two lock horns, I mean, I'm questioning how is Corey Sanhagen going to react to those body shots? How is he going to take those chin shots? You know, Yuri Alcantara, who definitely hits like a truck and has a very long reach for that weight class. Uh, I mean, he had uh, Corey Sanhagen wobbling all over the place in that first round in about the first minute, and then he, he face-planted him. I mean, he threw him on his head. But, man, you know, he jumped that armbar, and uh, you know what happens when Yuri can't get that armbar. He flops to his back, and he gets pounded. But uh, the thing here, man, is that a lot of people know that if you're going to beat John Lineker, more than likely you got to take this guy down. You know what I'm saying? So if Corey's smart here, that would be the right game plan, but... I think that the firepower of Lineker is too much, and I, I think he's going to get a knockout in this fight. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Glover Teixeira. He's 28-7, and seven, and Iwan Kutelaba is 14-3. and three. Currently, they got Glover Teixeira, minus 125. The comeback on Iwan Kutelaba is plus 105. Well, Shaq, this is the exact same line as Glover Teixeira's last fight versus Carl Roberson. He was fighting the young up-and-comer. And many people thought that he might get knocked out in that fight. And he almost did, but Glover showed off his amazing uh, durability, his jiu-jitsu black belt, and he submitted Carl Roberson. Now he's got Iwan Kutelaba in front of him. Uh, you think the prospect gets the win here, or you think uh, Glover puts together a win streak? Roberson's at 85 or was coming in up a weight class on a week short notice. And Glover was able to, similar to like Cesar Mutanchi Ferreira, when he got on top of him, the fight was over. And we know Glover. He's shown many times throughout his career, when he gets on top of you early, uh, the fight might be over. We saw that against Serkinov. We've seen it against OSP, uh, other guys in the past. I mean, remember when he knocked out Ryan Bader? Deluna. Uh, yeah, you know, back in the day. So this guy uh, definitely is one of the greatest 205ers of all time. I got a lot of respect for Glover Teixeira, but clearly it definitely... Uh, his chin is definitely deteriorating. You remember that beating he took against Alexander Gustafsson down there in Sweden? Uh, even prior to the Misha Serkinov finish, it seemed like, you know, a guy like Misha Serkinov, who's very slow and stiff, was kind of having a little bit of uh, success against him on the feet. But, we you know, Misha's not very comfortable on the feet, and eventually he made a mistake. And like we said in the past, if you put Misha in that one bad spot, he'll uh, he'll find his way out. So Glover was able to do his thing. I feel like this fight's going to be a little different. Kudalaba, yeah, he's had a, a couple losses, but... Let's not forget, man, this guy came into the UFC when he was 21 years old. He got thrown into these spots where kids his age usually uh, don't perform, but he, he swam. You know, he had, uh, he lost, I mean, his losses are respectable. Serkinov, Cannoneer's doing his thing. Uh, he definitely doesn't have that signature win yet, but he's improving. Uh, you're definitely going to start to see improvements, you know, fight to fight, as where we know what we're going to see with Glover to share. Definitely, Glover's definitely better on the map, but I think Kudalaba has a very good chance to take Glover out early with punches. Glover seems like he gets rocked in every fight. Let's not forget that Corey Anderson fight where he took that little shot and buckled, and he's shown, he's shown it through a, a, in a lot of his fights, the Cannoneer fight as well, man, that he will wobble. So, you know, I feel like Kudalaba in his last fight showed that he's got the the uh the drive to stuff takedowns to get up from the mat like uh against a submission specialist like Antigalafu, you know, definitely isn't on Glover's level, but I think uh if he keeps improving at this rate, he's got a full camp uh in comparison to Roberson who only had the week. He's had two camps for Glover if we're being honest here, because uh he was supposed to fight Glover that night. So, you know, I think uh Kudalaba 
has all the all the makings for an upset here. You know, I think he's got to stock Glover early, use his power. I think his, he hits tremendously hard, and I definitely got concerns if Glover can take that uh, type of power at this stage in his career. So I'm going to go with Kudalaba in an upset, but, you know, I got a lot of respect for Glover. Ian, you going with uh, the somewhat of a prospect, even though he's been in the UFC now for a while, or are you going with, uh, you know, the perennial top 10 Glover Teixeira? I'm taking Glover in this fight. Um, I finally get to disagree with you, Shaq. Love it. Uh, <laughs> in all due respect. Here, here's my thing with Kudalaba. Um, again, he's just too predictable. This guy relies purely on his strength and his ability to brawl and to take a punch. He, Glover, obviously, cannot take a punch. You sneeze on his chin, he does fall. However, this is a huge drop-down in competition for Glover. Look at who he has fought in the last two or three years. The, the best of the best, right? Okay, or guys like Corey Anderson who are getting closer to being at the top. Here's the thing for Glover right now. Smart fighter, he has to, I mean, listen, he's been around for a while. <clears throat> he has taken damage, but he's got to know right now that there's no reason to swing away. He could even rope-a-dope this guy, keep his hands up, and let Kudalaba tire out a little bit. Because we all know the minute Glover gets this fight to the ground, arm triangle, it's over. And that's what I see happening here. I think Kudalaba knows that Glover's got a weak chin. He's going to come out and do what he does. You know, Shaq, I've gotten a little bit better of getting off the mat, but look who he got off the mat against. Yes, it was a submission specialist, but not to someone at the extent of Glover. Glover Teixeira has been around a while. I mean, for God's sake, it took Glover forever today to get to the UFC, and everyone kept saying, you know, obviously it was the visa issues. You know, and what's funny is if you remember when Tap Out used to do their show, Glover was one of the guys that they featured, along with Cowboy Cerrone and a few other guys. So he has been around a while. I, I just, I would be shocked if Glover doesn't take him down in the first two minutes off, you know, a wild punch from Kudalaba. And the minute that fight goes to the ground, I don't think is getting right back up. If he's against the cage, he could power his way up. But... I just don't – he doesn't have the jiu-jitsu. He doesn't have the wrestling – the defensive wrestling to make this happen. Um, yes, can he land for sure? I am just going to go based on the fact that Glover is not a stupid fighter. Remember, when he's been dropped and knocked out, it hasn't been due to brawls. You know, it's been that a guy like Gustafson is just a better striker. Other guys have landed top-level competition. I can't. I just don't see Glover not taking this fight to the ground and winning. So I, I'm going Glover. I, I don't think Kudalaba is ready for this fight. I don't think. Listen, you could train as much as you want. You cannot become a wrestler overnight. There's one guy in the history of Earth that didn't wrestle his whole life and became an amazing wrestler, probably the best ever in mixed martial arts. His name is George St. Pierre. Other than that, you just cannot learn to just all of a sudden become an amazing wrestler. It, it, it's years and years and years. And that's what he will need against someone like Glover, who has very good takedowns, especially in the clinch, especially when he's off his back foot, waiting in the exchange. I got Glover by submission in this fight. I mean, listen, I agree that if Glover is to win this fight, that's the path to victory. And I mean, it's the only path to victory, yeah. Like, why, why, why stand and bang with uh, Iwan Kutelewa? But, but one thing I got to say about Iwan is that the guy's been making improvements, man. I know that he came into the UFC kind of young. I mean, it kind of reminds me of like a Khalil Roundtree situation where, you know, he came into the UFC and he might have not been ready yet to be in the UFC. You know, Khalil was having those ugly performances against Andrew Sanchez and Tyson Pedro. And, you know, and now you saw that performance he had against Eric Anders. I know, I know Eric Anders and Glover Teixeira can't be compared, but at least, you know, 
what I'm, what I'm trying to say is a guy that took these early losses and then came back and, uh, you know, stuck to his grind and showed some massive improvements. And uh, Iwan Kutelaba, look, in the Misha Sirkuna fight, when he got taken down, I mean, you know, the fight was over shortly after. And, you know, the situation with Carl Roberson was, you know, I didn't think that he made those kind of improvements because against Cesar Mutanchi, he got tapped out with that arm triangle. Then it's like, okay, well, let's see what happens when he fights the next guy that takes him down. Well, guess what happened the next time he fought someone that took him down? Uh, Glover Teixeira got him in that arm triangle as well. So it didn't seem like Carl Roberson made those improvements. Whereas um, Iwan Kutelaba, when he fought Misha Serkunov, okay, the fight was over. He got arm triangled there. But then when he uh, fought Antigolov, and I know Antigolov, you know, he's got really ugly stand-up. But one thing we can agree on, I mean, the guy had like, what, like 15 to 20 submissions on his record or something crazy like that. When Antigolov gets on top of you, I mean, he's Russian. The guy tends to finish fights, and he got on top of... Iwan Kutalaba in the center of the cage uh, on that Bud Light logo. I think it's Modelo now. Iwan went all the way from the center of the cage. He was able to shrimp all the way back to the cage itself. So that to me shows that he actually has been, you know, working on that part of the game of his game. He has been addressing his weakness. And while, you know, I don't think he's going to come out here and pull off a triangle choke or a guillotine against Clover or any shit like that, I do think that if he stays calm and doesn't do something stupid. He can potentially get back up to his feet, and from there, man, I mean, Glover, uh, you know, a couple years ago, he wins this fight easily, but man, his chin is barely hanging on, and Carl Roberson almost had him out. I think that Ion Kutaleba finishes the job here, man. Uh, man, it was crazy how in that in that Roberson fight, you know, I got to give Glover Teixeira a ton of credit here. You know, 10 seconds into the fight, he's almost getting knocked out with those Travis Brown elbows. Carl Roberson mounts him. He's got one of his arms trapped. He's pounding away. And then uh, a couple seconds later, it's Glover who's on top in full mount. I was like, God damn, like, the dude's a dog. The dude's gritty. The dude's a legend. I got so much respect for him. But all those fights, and you're right, you know, he has been losing to the best guys in the world, but he's also been taking damage from the best guys in the world. And, you know, they, these weren't, you know, close competitive fights, man. I mean, Anthony Rumble Johnson KO'd him stiff in 13 seconds. That has to diminish your chin. Alexander Gustafsson, I mean, you know, he knocked his head into the 10th row. And... Corey Anderson, a guy who's not known for his power. As much as I like Corey Anderson, he's one of the most improved fighters in the light heavyweight division. I completely agree. Corey's not known for his power, man. And Corey had him wobbling all over the place. Then Carl Roberson did as well. I think just at the point they're at in their respective careers, even though Glover's fought the way better guys, I think Ewan does have the power necessary to finish the job. But obviously if Glover gets on top of him, I would be like, oh my God, Ewan. But I think uh, he's made the improvements necessary now. We're going to see if that's the case or not. So I'm going to go with Ewan Kuteleba to get this upset via knockout. Next up in the heavyweight division, because we know Oliveira and Perry's the real co-main event, we got Greg Hardy is minus 345 and Dmitry Smolyakov is plus 285. And uh, Greg Hardy's three and one, and Dmitry Smolyakov is nine and two. Uh, Shaq, you know, normally if you see an off with that kind of number next to his name against Greg Hardy, you want to take a look. But I did take a look, and Dmitry uh, Smolyakov's getting pounded out by Cyril Asker, and he's doing the whole bit. You know, they they kicked him out the UFC. Now they're bringing him back just to fight Greg Hardy. Do you think Greg Hardy gets DQ'd here? Or do you think he finally gets his first <laughs> UFC win? Yeah, you know, Smolyakov. I mean, man, his two UFC fights have definitely been, wow, you know, he's definitely on the, the bottom of the totem pole when we're talking about Russian fighters, and uh, I mean, when you look at the his fights prior to him getting into the UFC, I mean, he didn't fight anybody, so when he got to the UFC, he got exposed, And but you know, now he's getting a, a fight, you know, 
relatively on his level. Greg Hardy, do I think if the Alan Crowder fight continued, would he have won? I don't know, because Alan Crowder won the first round, man. And Alan Crowder is, you know, yikes, man. Uh, he's got the, the uh, ankle sleeves on out there. <laughs> and I mean, he won that first round straight up against Greg Hardy. So we know Greg Hardy's still developing. We, uh, you know, I feel like Smolyakov runs himself into the ground really fast i mean that asker fight i mean we know greg hardy's not gonna mount him and uh smash him and smash him like that he he's gonna try to knock him out early but i feel like greg kind of leaves himself open at times in that heavyweight man anything can happen but i do think he'll get the win here by knockout smoliakov drops his hands doesn't like getting hit but nothing would have surprised me to be honest uh you, personally i just can't lay chalk on a guy like greg hardy who's super undeveloped and like I said, he was losing that Alan Crowder fight, and, you know, he made a mistake with that knee. I just think he's a better fighter than Smolyakov, a better athlete, uh, more power, so I'll take him, but it could be it could be sketch. Ian, you think uh, Greg Hardy rolls here, or are you going with the Russian? You know, I had Crowder in the last fight because I just I, I don't like Hardy. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I, do I think he did that knee intentionally? I, I, you know what? I don't even care. I just don't understand. You know what? He does train down here in American top team, but how was he the co-main event? Put even him to the side. How was his opponent in the co-main event? You know, because so, yeah, he, uh, he's being brought in to lose in highlight real fashion. Oh no, there's no question there, but it's just, you know, it's funny. You got McFarlane and Bellator as the co-main event. Who's a rising right. star who does everything right culture, everything. And then you got Hardy co-maining in the biggest organization in the world who's just a complete POS, you know? So honestly, I, I don't think the UFC is doing the right thing. Um, if they really want to develop Hardy into a serious potential heavyweight contender, you don't feed them guys like this because I think it's a lose-lose. If Hardy wins, he's supposed to. If he loses, the UFC just wasted, what, another, another co-main event on a guy that's known for beating up women, got DQ'd in the UFC, you know, it's, it's just, it's nonstop with this. Um, do I think it's worth a shot? Listen, the only, <laughs> do, would I bet on a Hardy in this fight? Absolutely not. You cannot trust him yet. As Shaq said, he's way underdeveloped. He was exposed a lot in that Crowder fight and Crowder is yeesh. That's really Shaq. Good call on that word. Yeesh. I like that. He is yeesh. Um, man, the only, the only, the only thing I could tell you guys in this fight Hardy's athleticism is light years ahead. But if you're going to take a shot, you might as well take a shot on the Russian if you are up a lot going into that fight. That's the only way I would even touch this fight. Um, who I think is actually going to win, I guess I'll go Hardy just based on the athleticism, although it makes me nauseous to even say those words. Yeah, I mean, when you saw Hardy's UFC debut, and, you know, he's one of these guys that, Every fight he's had, you know, the first punch he hit his opponent with, they went down. And then you come to the UFC, you hit a guy with your hardest shot, and he's still there. It's like, oh, shit, th this is an actual fight. This is a real fight. And that was the first fight that Greg Hardy's ever been in inside a cage, man. And, and he lost to Alan Crowder, you know. It's uh, kind of embarrassing. But uh, Dmitry Smolyakov, man, I mean, I know Cyril Asker and all that. But Cyril Asker, I mean, who you got between Cyril Asker and Greg Hardy? Real talk. You know what I'm Cyril saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Like you can't you can't look at me with a straight face and say Greg Hardy 100% beats Cyril Asker. I mean, maybe down the line, but I mean, look. You go between him and Marcelo Gomes. Marcelo Gomes and Greg Hardy. <laughs> Shit. After that stunt, uh, Gomes just pulled. 
No, but listen. I still, I still take gum. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's just one of these situations where is Greg Hardy going to make, you know, big improvements? I mean, he's still young in his uh, – in his career in terms of he's only three and one, is he going to make the kind of improvements necessary to settle down? And Dimitri Smolyakov, I mean, it's the same story. Even though he's nine and two fighting a three and one guy, he's more experienced, but it's the same story where on the regional scene, you know, these guys would, you know, get one leg kick checked and then they'd wave it off to the referee. You know what I mean? He'd fight in a lunchroom cafeteria, hit the guy one time and the fight would be over. So, you know, and then when he stepped up in the UFC, you saw what happened. He got smashed. So, I guess I'm going to go with Hardy because I would assume that Dana, Mick, and Sean probably sat in a room, looked at the roster, looked at guys outside the UFC like, who can we bring in on this co-main event to for sure take this loss? And they were like, I know a guy. So I'm going to go with Hardy via KO, but uh, do not uh, do not lay the house on that, please. Co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We got Mike Perry, he's 12-4, and four, and Alex Cowboy Oliveira, he's 20-6. and six. Currently, they got Alex Oliveira, minus 170. The comeback on Platinum, Mike Perry, is plus 150. Ian, I got to know, man, uh, do you think Mike Perry gets back on track here? Or do you think Alex Oliveira gets back on track? Because both are coming off uh, L's here. Okay, so this is such a terrible matchup for Mike Perry. Anyone that has an offensive wrestling jiu-jitsu game is a terrible matchup for Mike Perry. And Oliveira is pretty good on the feet. Here, here's the issue I have here, right? Mike Perry on short notice in this match, if they would have had Mike Perry against Greg Hardy, I would have taken Mike Perry because it would have been a striking fight. And Perry is reasonably decent with his striking. Listen, I think Mike Perry is hilarious. That little bit he had with uh, Darren Till with Spa and the Spar. Yeah. I, I will watch that twice a day, every day. And I, and I, and I think he, his personality is hilarious. He's got a great social media thing going. I don't think his game has evolved enough in regards to the ground game, and this is going to be an issue here. Like, like when he fought Paul Felder, I was shocked with Paul Felder's IQ that Felder didn't take this fight to the ground. Because Felder is not a bad ground fighter. He's got the game for it, but he wants to prove a point that he could go up and wait. He could struggle with a guy like Perry, be a tough guy. You don't need to be a tough guy with Mike Perry, okay? The path to Mike Perry, beating Mike Perry is very simple. You put Mike Perry on his back. He's not going to submit you, okay? It's just not going to happen. Oliveira has the size here. He's got the length. He's got the type of striking game that actually will help himself out because he bounces in or out while using range. If he just doesn't get into a brawl, because we all know how Oliveira gets sometimes, he gets super cocky, and all of a sudden, he starts losing, okay, when he's dominating a fight. If he could just, I mean, listen, I'm not looking for a Carlos Conda type of finish here, but if he just, Stays on track. Like you said, he needs to get back on track. This is a perfect fight for him. All he has to do, use his push kick, jab in and out. He can throw his cross off that double jab. But the minute that cross touches Perry's face, he needs to shoot in for that really good double leg takedown, put Perry on his back. I like Cowboy Oliveira here. I think Mike Perry on short, taking this fight on short notice is a mistake. I know he wanted to get back. He was eager. But fighting a guy who's as good on the ground as Oliveira, strength-wise, strong guy, I don't like this matchup for Mike Perry. Like I said, I'm going Cowboy Oliveira. I'm surprised the odds are even that low. I thought uh, Oliveira would have been minus 220. I love Oliveira in this fight. So, Shaq, obviously, last time Mike Perry fought in his backyard, things didn't go his way against Max Griffin. But since that point, he left Greg Jackson's. Now he's back uh, with Julian Williams, Jacare Souza. He had Jared Gooden in camp with him. 
Alex Nicholson, Mike Davis. So now he's got the right people around him. The question is, can he put it to use, come out here and get a much-needed win against the always tough Alex Cowboy Oliveira? Yeah, you know, I think he was only at Jackson's for a, a couple of fights. He, he went one and one. Perry, it's the same thing as usual, man. His striking defense isn't the best. His cardio definitely isn't the best. And it seems like lately, man, he's been taking a lot of damage in these fights, getting cut open in the Griffin fights. Uh, he, won, he won that Felder fight due to his big size advantage. I mean, Felder's a lightweight, man, and he... Uh, moved up out uh <laughs> he could have waited to fight but i understand man he needed to he needed to get paid and uh he took a fight up a weight class against a a guy with probably 20 pounds on him so you know i think like uh ian said man i feel like Alex scott boy's the better fighter probably in every aspect of the game man the clinch the striking the uh, jujitsu, you know, Perry is a tough guy. I'll give him credit for that. You know, he's definitely a guy that's going to fight uh, fight his heart out. But it seems like lately, man, he's he's gotten figured out. It seems like Cowboy fight, he was a, he was the favorite in that fight. And the right hand was just super telegraphed. You know, he was just looking real slow, stuck in the mud. And even in the Max Griffin fight, man, when a guy like Max Griffin's boxing you up like, at range like that, you know, you start getting cut open with the very first punches. I feel like his best days are... Uh, are behind him, man. So I think Alex Cowboy, like uh, Ian said, he is occasionally known for pulling these wild stunts like in the Carlos Condit fight. But that, that kind of seems more with getting his back taken. Uh, he did get uh, in a wild brawl with Yancey Medeiros, a, a crazy Hawaiian. And if he does that with Perry, he might get uh, he might get knocked out. Perry does have a puncher's chance in this fight. But I got to go with Alex Cowboy. I think he's the better fighter in every aspect of the game. He needs to play this smart, clinch him, use the knees to the body, get Perry tired. And when Perry's tired, it pretty much becomes avoid the big right hand. And uh, he'll win this fight. So I got to go with uh, Alex Cowboy. I'll go by uh, late TKO. Man, when Mike Perry first came into the UFC, he was such an exciting prospect. Obviously, remember the knockouts of Hyung Yu Lim and Danny Roberts. You know, had the setback against Juban, but came back and got that epic KO over Jake Ellenberger, knocked out that lightweight Alex Reyes. But since that point, since he fought Santiago Ponzinibbio, and there's no shame in that loss, that was a very hard-fought loss. But since that point, man, there's been a drop-off, and I, I don't know what it is. I think it's a case where he just simply hasn't evolved. You know, I think, uh, you know, it was platinum Mike Perry. It was cute. It was fun while it lasted. You know, he got a couple 50K bonuses. He was the new hot knockout artist. And now, uh, you know, now that's over, man, because... The Max Griffin fight, even the Paul Felder fight where he won, it just hasn't been looking, he hasn't been looking as dangerous, he hasn't been looking as effective, because I really felt like in that Danny Hot Chocolate fight, you go back and watch that fight, that's a fucking great fight, man, he knocked out Danny Hot Chocolate three times in that fight at the end of every single round, you know, Mark Goddard finally called it uh, in the third round, but, you know, since that point, you know, like I said, his hands haven't been looking as heavy, he hasn't been looking as dangerous, one thing I will say, though, you know, he did take down Santiago Ponzinibbio. Not that he's about to come out here and wrestle against Alex, but I'm just saying at least he added that to his game. And now he's back, you know, with Jacare and Julian Williams and all these guys. Desperately needs a win. So maybe with his back up against the wall, he has the motivation necessary. But I just haven't seen the improvements that I really wanted to see in Mike Perry. And with Alex Oliveira, he's definitely the more talented guy here. He's the more physical guy here. When Alex Oliveira gets you in that clinch, I mean, he's so physical. He's that kind of guy that he, he probably injures uh, his sparring partners. You know, you kick this guy with your hardest kick, and it probably hurts you more than it hurts him. And in that clinch, he, he lands some of the most devastating knees I've ever seen. The guy's well-rounded, too. But here's the deal. Whenever Alex Cowboy takes an L, it's always a stunt. You know what I mean? Let me give you all the examples. Against Gilbert Dorino Burns, Alex Cowboy is whooping his ass the entire fight. 
Third round gets taken down uh, and gets subbed shortly after against Donald Cerrone. Had him in the clinch landing. Beautiful knees. Gets ta uh, He takes down Cerrone. Gets caught in that triangle. Before it's even locked in, he's already tapping against Yancey Medeiros. Knocks the guy down a hundred times. It's, it looks like a lock. And it's uh, Alex who backed up into the fence and took a knee in that third round. And then also against Gunny Nelson. He was smashing Gunny Nelson in that first round. It was like, man, this is a 10-8 round. Uh, about to get an easy, t uh, easy TKO in that second round. And uh, then Gunny takes him down, takes his back, and chokes him out. So... When Alex loses fights, it's not because, you know, he's losing the guys that are necessarily better than him. He literally pulls stunts in there. But, man, on his best days, he's a highlight reel machine. So I think it's going to be an interesting fight with the durability of Mike Perry. I think it's got the potential to go all three. I think this could be fight of the night. But ultimately, I do see Alex Cowboy landing the harder shots, mixing in the takedowns. And if he does not get knocked out along the way, uh, I, I see him winning this decision against Mike Perry. Main event of the evening. Ronaldo Jacare Souza. He's 26 and 6, and Jack the Joker Hermanson is 19 and 4. Currently, they got Ronaldo Jacare Souza minus 220. The comeback on Jack Hermanson is plus 180. Well, Shaq, uh, we were talking about step ups, uh, step ups and competition this entire show. Talk about uh, going from Dave Branch to Jacare Souza. Do you think Jack Hermanson is finally ready to rise to the occasion in this kind of opportunity against uh, the number three guy on planet Earth? Man, this is definitely a big step up in competition. Jacare is one of the best middleweights to ever do it. Jack Hermanson, I mean, look, we've been high on this guy for a long time. We were on him in his fight against Branch. We had a max bet on him against Talos Latis. This guy is definitely, I feel like he's definitely earned this uh, this right to run through a guy like Branch. Yeah, I know Branch is 500. He's washed up, but who else ran through him like that? You know, that was, uh, and he's, uh, Branch is a Henzo Gracie black belt. The fact that he tapped him out like that was super impressive. So in comparison to Jacare, how they match up, Look, there's definitely a... Uh, Jack Ray's probably better everywhere. He's probably got better boxing. He's got better jiu-jitsu. Uh, he's probably the greatest uh, jiu-jitsu fighter in the UFC, man. Uh, there's no... There's, I mean, it's just facts, man. Uh, when he gets on top of you, uh, you know, generally it's over. We saw in his last fight, Kelvin was able to survive that jiu-jitsu storm. He, able to, he was able to survive all his uh, submissions and uh, all his sweeps. And we saw what happens. Jacare gasses out. And it seems like Jacare has a history of when he's one fight away from that title, it always seems like uh, he has a little slip up here. And now he's taking this fight on short notice. You know, he's saying he's not too thrilled. He said if he doesn't get the title shot, you know, he's going to retire. It definitely could be a step down in competition for him but personally i don't think so man i think jack's skills is up to par i know he doesn't have the the signature win on his resume but skill level man i've always said if jack or manson gets on top of you it doesn't matter who you are the fight will be uh shortly uh, you know will be over shortly thereafter man this guy has proven it time after time i know it's jacare i know he's a black belt but trust me if jacare gets tired like he's done in the past and jacare is known for pulling stunts man uh <laughs> it, it could get sketchy man uh I do think there's value on Jack Hermanson. I know he doesn't have the resume in comparison to Jack Array. I like what I've been seeing from Jack Array, especially in his last fight against Chris Weidman. I definitely did not expect that. I mean, he made a commitment to moving forward and taking Chris Weidman out. And, you know, Chris Weidman is a great champion, you know, one of the best middleweights of all time. But we know that Weidman's kind of towards on the end of his career. And that was a back and forth fight, you know, in the in the lead up to that knockout. I think Jack's a lot faster. I think he's a lot smarter. I know he, like I said, doesn't have the resume necessarily but 
I think that Jack uh, could possibly do it, but I got to go with Jack Array for the win. I just think he's slightly better in every aspect of the game, but I think Jack Hermanson is a very live underdog, and I think from a betting perspective, it has to be dog or pass because when they get in there, trust me, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Jack Array in Florida. If he wins this fight, he gets a title shot. He's already saying he's not too thrilled. He was supposed to fight Yo well. And, and if you start having doubts in there against a guy like Jack Hermanson, uh, Jack can uh, sneak up on you, so I'd be careful. Ian, uh, I know we've gone back and forth on Jack Hermanson fights in the past. Where do you stand on this one, the biggest uh, challenge of his entire career? All right. Well, first, I want to touch upon the Weidman situation since, obviously, I have a relationship there. The only thing I will tell you is uh, with the Chris Weidman, if you go look at all the fights that he has lost after Luke Rockhold, outside of including Uzasi, he was either winning or the fight was going tied up into the third round. Um we, it's funny how people seem to forget that he dominated Kelvin Gastelum as well. And this isn't, I'm not trying to gas up Chris. My, my point is, is that Chris, I think, was actually beating Jacare going into that third round, um, if not again tied. Here's the thing. You guys were saying you were high on Jack. I did have Branch because I thought Branch's submission game was going to make a difference. Um, you know, obviously, Dan and I talked about this. I said it wouldn't shock me if Branch lost, but... You know, I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. However, it's still David Branch, okay? Jack, you know, Jacare, there's nothing that has shown me that Jacare has really lost a step. I mean, look at who he has fought for the longest time. Literally the best of the best. We're going to go on the limb here and say, okay, he gassed out with Gastelum and all that stuff. Remember, but look, but look what Gastelum, look, look who Gastelum is. You're talking about a guy that was really three minutes away from being the interim middleweight champion. Uh, you know, a guy that should really be a 170 that's just an unbelievable athlete, unbelievable story. Jacare is extremely well-rounded. His age does not play a factor. For some reason, these Brazilian guys can age really well, um, and he's been clean, so we know he's got nothing going on. <laughs> and if you don't think that the minute Yoel Romero dropped out of this fight and he was given a count like Jack Romanson, let me ask you guys a question. Shaq, let me ask you a question. Who would you rather fight, Yoel Romero or Jack? Um, it's a, it's a tough, yeah, I know Yoel's got the better resume. He's got the knockout power. You know, we saw what he did to Rob in that fifth round, but at the same time, Yoel's on the, I, I don't want to say he's on the decline, but I mean, when you really look at the damage he's been taking, he is in his forties. He hasn't made 185 in a long time. Who knows, man, on the given day, anything can happen. So yeah, I, that's I agree. True. That, that's true. But, but, you got, but, but I'm saying, though, look, look at the, but look, with, with Romero, put the weight parts to the side. They still allow him to fight both fights with Whitaker. That last fight, he could have won that fight. My point is talking about a guy that lost by a very close decision to the champ and, and possibly has fight of the year twice against the champ. It, it's a huge difference. Put it this way. If I'm Jacare and I hear the Romero's out and I'm getting Jack Romanson, who the biggest resume on his, the biggest name on his resume is David Branch, I'm smiling no, ear to ear and now I'm being guaranteed a title shot. shot. Okay, on top of that, Jack Romanson's never been in a five-rounder. Okay? That's a big difference. He did train for three rounds. He took the, he's taken this fight on short notice. Jacare's been in training camp, okay? He's been in training camp. He's been training for Joel freaking Romero, who's a freaking unreal athlete who's good everywhere, you know? I think for Jack, it's a no-brainer to take this fight because let's be honest with ourselves, he's got nothing to lose, right? If he loses, he just lost to Jacare. Okay, almost everyone has, right? However, if you're asking me who I think wins this, I, I think this is an easy pick. I think it's Jacare all day. I don't see what Jack can present 
that Jacare hasn't seen 10 times over, even in the last two years. I don't think Jack is going to be physically stronger. I don't think his hands are going to be better. The jujitsu game, I'm sorry, I don't think he gets on top of Jacare. Even if he does, we're talking about probably the best jujitsu guy in the world to ever touch the sport of MMA in that weight class specifically. All right. And there's nothing that has shown me that to really argue any differently in any of his fights. You know, in the Chris Weidman fight, I could have told you that was going to be a striking battle. You have two guys that are predominantly grapplers. You know, I don't know if Jacare would have been able to get <coughs> Chris down. Chris is a phenomenal wrestler. Chris isn't going to want to go to the ground with Jacare, even though Chris is excellent at jujitsu. But this fight, though, I, I just, you know, let's put it this way. If this wasn't short notice, I would be saying way too soon for Jack. I'd rather see Jack fight a Derek Brunson and Elias Theodoro, you know, and climb the ladder the right way. If he's as high of a prospect as you guys say, this could be a very damaging situation for him if he gets brutally destroyed quick. A lot of guys sometimes get rushed into the situation. I mean, look at Darren Till, okay? Did any of you guys think that he actually beat Wonder Boy in that fight? <laughs> I mean, here's what I'll say about that fight. I mean, nothing... No, no, just, just, wait, 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 just did, you, did you score that fight for Darren Till? Look, nothing happened for four rounds, and Darren Till dropped him in the fifth. Okay. Okay, but fine. For for your for your argument, we'll say we scored it for Steven. <laughs> okay, but my point is is that I and not and I don't have a bias there. I thought Steve Wonderboy pretty much landed way more speed. Granted, there wasn't a whole lot, but out of that whole outside of the drop, I thought Steven did enough to win whatever was in the backyard. Okay, look what Till has done since again. It's again rushing a guy up. Jack, I, I guess they had to because there were, I don't think it was anyone else available. I just, again, I think Jack Cranston has got a lot of potential. I just, <laughs> I know this fight is happening because of a short notice. They want to maintain a big game for the main event. I get it. I, I just don't see any type of path of victory outside of if Jack could, t- here it is. If Jack could take this fight to the fourth and fifth round and could get, and if he's on his back and cannot get submitted, pretty much what Kelvin did. He can win because if Jacare is gassed out, anyone could beat anyone if they're tired. I don't see it happening. I got Jacare. I just don't see it happening. I mean, look, Jacare is the logical pick, no doubt about it, on paper, resume, everything. But the thing is, since everyone's, you know, picking Jacare, I got to be the one guy to make a case for Hermanson here. I mean, listen, it's easy to talk about how Jacare is probably going to just come out here, take him down one time, pass, and uh, the fight will be over shortly after. Maybe even knock him out on the feet because Jacare has been looking that damn good standing. Uh, and, I mean, he's just one of the best of all time. I mean, it's fucking Jacare, and I-, I feel like a lot of people have been disrespecting him. You know, when they were talking about Kelvin's resume before that Israel fight, they are like, oh, Kelvin never never beat anyone. He beat an old Jacare, and I always found that extremely disrespectful because... I mean, Jacare, it's, it's fucking Jacare, man. You got to show that guy. To be top three in the world for as long as he has just goes to show what kind of competitor and what kind of fighter he is. So, you know, logic, the betting line, all this stuff suggests that uh, Jacare is going to win. And, and he very well might, man. But to make this entertaining for the fans and to be probably one of the only people that will make a, a case for Hermanson, if... I were Hermanson's uh, team, you know, what I think would be his path to victory would be, first of all, man, don't do anything stupid early. You know, don't come out here trying to take down a guy like Jacare in that first round. I think he's got to let Jacare bring the fight to him. 
And, uh, you know, sometimes Jacare in that early going, he will shoot from very far out. Jack's got to sprawl. Jack's got to keep this shit standing for a little bit. But, man, Jacare actually does have better hands than, uh, than Jack Hermanson. So I feel like Jack needs to survive these first seven and a half minutes. And from there, you know, it's not because Jacare doesn't, you know, train his cardio. It's not because Jacare is not running his miles. That ain't the case at all. The reason that Jacare does get tired in a lot of his fights that he doesn't finish early is because this dude throws so fucking hard. He throws with everything he's got that there's no option but to get a little bit tired. I mean, he's throwing knockout punches with every shot he throws. I mean, you saw those shots he was hitting Chris Weidman with. You know, it wasn't an accident that he put Weidman down in that third round. It was an accumulation. I know on the scorecards, Weidman was up, but whenever whenever Souza landed, we, we all felt those shots, so... There's a reason why he slows down. He throws hard as fuck. And if Jack is able to still be there in that late second round, in that third, that fourth, that fifth, that's where things get interesting, man. And do I have any proof that, you know, he can go out here and beat a top three guy? No, I don't. But have I seen him overcome adversity? Yes, I have. And the option, the, uh, excuse me, the, the examples I'll reference are, well, first of all, he already took two big setbacks inside the octagon, got stopped against uh, Cesar Mutanchi in a second UFC fight. Got stopped against Tiago Mejeda Santos. But since that point, he rebounded. And he rebounded in style. And he's look, he looks like he's adding elements to his game. And in that fight with Talis Latis, which you could argue is a poor man's version of Jacare, is a watered-down version of Jacare, a lot of people only view it as, oh, he had this miracle comeback that he pulled out of his ass and this and that. But the way I view it is, he came out there in that first round, he was dominating Talis Latis in every aspect of the fight, but he had a freak injury in that fight. He, I mean, the guy, his ribs cracked in the fight, and you saw what happened in that second round when, when Talis got on top of him. You saw that grimace, and man, for a guy with his ribs cracked and broken in that fight... You know, we wouldn't have thought any less of him if he, if he didn't answer the bell between rounds, if he tapped out to that Dars choke, if he tapped out to that arm triangle. But with a broken rib, this guy did the proper defense against a black belt in Talis Latis, who, when he does get you in that arm triangle uh, submission, when he does get you in that Dars choke, he usually finishes fights. Now, obviously, you know, like I said, he's a watered-down version of, uh, of Jacare, but at least I know Hermanson is doing the right things in the gym. He knows how to escape... Uh, you know, subs from a guy like Latest when he has a cracked rib. That gives me hopes that if he gets to the mat and he's not too hurt or tired, that maybe he can survive for a little bit. And if that's the case and they do get uh, to a gas state, that's where Jack can take over if he's able to get on top of Jacare while Jacare is tired or hurt. But if that doesn't happen, Jacare can easily come out here and do what everyone's saying he's going to do and just run through Jack because... Jacare's paid his dues. Jacare, I mean, let's be honest, he he's earned this title shot a long time ago, man. Uh, I mean, even though he keeps losing his number one contendership fights, I feel like you could have given him a title shot a long time ago. So it's not going to surprise me if he uh, if he comes out here and beats Jack Hermanson. But once again, I am a gambling man, and on fight day, I'm expecting an over plus two hundred line. I'm expecting a plus two ten, plus two fifteen, maybe even a plus two fifty on Jack Hermanson. And at that point, it becomes well, as a gambling man, am I willing to find out? If Jack Hermanson's good enough to to pass this test, because similar to Dustin Poirier, you know, it's not even about fading a guy like Max Holloway. To me, it was really about betting on Dustin Poirier. So in this case, it's am I willing to take the shot to find out if Jack Hermanson is good enough to pass this test? Because I can't tell you right now with a straight face if he is or isn't. It's going to come down to the line for me because I am a gambling man at the end of the day. So. I mean, the logical pick is Souza, but if this line gets to, you know, over plus 200 or so, 
I might, I might be taking my chances. I'm very curious to see uh, which way the public takes it. But, uh, I mean, you guys all bring up great points here. You want to know something real quick? When I, to your point with the whole gambling situation, the only way that I would go and lay money on Jack, regardless of the odds, would be if I had one of my insane parlays that you've seen and it came down to Jacques at the end, and, I, and that would be someone I would not mind hedging with. Um, here's what I will tell you guys, and I'll leave it like this with the whole Jack romantic. I think he's got a lot of potential a lot. I think there's a lot of better fights out there. This is a different opportunity for him. Like I said, he's got nothing to lose as long as if he does lose, he takes it as an experience type of situation. You know, a lot of these guys sometimes when they get moved up quickly, they have these unique opportunities because that's really what it is. When they lose, they question things. They say, oh, it was because my training was off. Did I do something wrong? No, man, it's, you're not, you're not just not there yet. And that's okay. That's why I mentioned guys like Elias Theodoro and Derek Brunson and even a guy like a Brad Tavares or, you know, Paul Costa, you know, work your way up. Um, he's not that far away. Remember, you know, how old is Jack Romanson, by the way? 30 or 31. All right. So he's not a kid, per se, in the fight game. Um, but, again, you know, I'm not disagreeing with you guys in regards to a pro, you know, prospect of being high on him. I do think there is something there. I just – you know, again, you obviously got to take the opportunities with the UFC. As a former manager, I will tell you what we look for is on all these news sites when someone's injured right away. When, when we saw an injury for someone, you know, with uh, like when Court McGee was supposed to fight Jesse Bonfeld, the minute I saw McGee was out, I, I sent Joe Silva a text right away. For, I think Wyman's first four fights were all on short notice because they were in within like six month period. You know, I think Jack's got, a, got some time ahead of him. Um, middleweight division's tough. I think this is going to be a really tough fight for him. I just hope that if he does lose, um, that he just takes it as more of a, hey, look, I just fought Jacare. You know, I mean, could you guys, I mean, let, let's be honest with ourselves here. If Jack lost by decision, would you not consider that a win for a guy at this point in his career? I mean, yeah. I would. You know, he goes out there, fights tough against the number three guy on planet Earth. You know, I know exactly what you're saying, man. Uh, so it's going to be right? interesting. But yeah. he, this fight ain't going the distance. You know that, though. But I know what you're saying. No, I would respect it's not, that. It's not going the distance. And, and you want to know what I think is going to happen. And I think Shaq said it before. Or maybe you said it. Um, Jacare, this is, this is, I mean, let's, let's, again, let's be honest with ourselves here. You're going to fight Yoel Romero, who is an absolute athletic freak. He is unpredictable. He's out of his mind. Right. I mean, look at the way he's, he, I mean, he was losing to wide many of them with a flying knee. The way he, the way he fights is just insane in itself. Um, but now Jacques Ray has an opportunity to probably fight his lowest level of competition. It's not a knock on Jack. It's just based on the rankings, based on who he's competed against. Like you said, Dan, he's been doing it for such a long time. If you don't think he's going out there and taking this guy down right away, can you imagine if Jacques Ray just fucking boxes for five rounds? I'll, I'll, I'll kill myself. <laughs> you know, if I'm Jock Ray, I'm like, listen, I'm guaranteed a title shot. If I beat Jack Hermanson right now, I am taking him down within the first three seconds and submitting him. I'm doing the Gator Chomp, and I'm taking on the winner of Whitaker Adesanya, and then win or lose, I'm out. Yeah, man, uh, obviously you bring up great points, and I can't wait to see what happens because it's always interesting to see if these prospects that were high on rise to the occasion against the toughest tests of their careers. And that's exactly what's going on here between uh, Jack Hermanson and uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza. But sometimes it could be that classic letdown spot. But Jacare is a consummate professional, so I can't wait to see what happens. Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. 
And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself, Kyle. It's going down this Saturday in Florida. Jacare Souza is taking on the streaking Jack Hermanson in the main event. And man, uh, this is going to be a very explosive fight. The doesn't go the distance prop is minus 600, Kyle. Exactly. That minus 600 means it's going to be an important one to target on DraftKings. Um, Souza's priced at 8900 Hermanson's priced at 7300 um, I'd be pretty surprised to see this fight not be on that $25,000 first place lineup. Uh, whoever wins will likely outscore that price tag and be on it. Um, I have Souza winning this. I just think he's a better fighter everywhere. Uh, if it hits the ground, I think he's going to have a huge edge. And I think Hermanson might want to take him down. Um, so that could be a, a downfall for him. But it could also turn out to be like a Souza 90 point win because he he gets taken down and then he locks up a submission so if that's the case if he scores like 90 points or something in that range he could possibly not be on the winning lineup so that kind of makes me like Hermanson as a GPP play because he's only 7300 and there's no way he's not going to be on the first place lineup if he wins so I, I kind of think Souza's the better cash play I feel pretty good about him getting the win uh, I just don't think it's a lock that he's on the first place lineup where I think if Hermanson wins, he is a lock. So, I mean, I'm going to be pretty split on my exposure to these guys. Um, but I've, I think I might be higher on Hermanson. I haven't checked lately. I'm not sure what it's going to end at. But just going for that first place lineup, which is what my goal is, um, I think Hermanson's a great play here. So it's it's pretty much an all-in fight if you want to. But, man, it's, it's hard not to like Hermanson on DraftKings this week. Yeah, I mean, it's either going to be a genius or idiot type play because I feel like, obviously, everyone is saying uh, Jacare is going to run right over him, and he might. He might go out there and do that. So I can't wait to see if Jack's able to weather the storm or not. I'm very, very curious. But, man, the co-main event between Greg Hardy and uh, Dmitry Smolyakov, I mean, listen, I know on paper what's supposed to happen, but you think it's actually going to happen? Because, I mean, Alan Crowder seemed like a, a gimme as well, and only 14.5 points scored on draftings by Greg Hardy that night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely a gimme fight. They're like, who can we give this guy that's that he can beat? And they're like, well, let's call somebody who's not even on the roster anymore. So that's why Smoliakov got the call just to get knocked out, have a little highlight reel for Hardy. But he could – totally screw this up uh he could gas trying to get that knockout in the first round and have a low scoring decision win i could see that knocking him out of the, the first place lineup but i do think ideally he gets a first round knockout here so i like him as a play i think he's a, a great gpp play because it's the boom or bust that you look for in gpps and he has two people priced above him so he, he has a decent chance of being on that first place lineup and i do see him getting like 105 points or so with a first round knockout here so I like him. Uh, I just can't trust him with cash games. I mean, he could go out there and get DQ'd again. Uh, he's not the sharpest guy. So GPP only for me, but Smoliakov's pretty much a, a full fade. There's no reason to invest in him unless you're making a bunch of lineups. Um, I would say I would need more than 20 lineups before I even think about putting him in one. So pretty much Hardy or nothing here, and I do like Hardy a good bit. Alex Cowboy Oliveira is taking on Mike Perry. It's an interesting fight, man, because if these guys were to fight 10 times uh... – it could go either way depending on the night. So the question is, who gets it done this Saturday? And also, with that 7,400 uh, next to Mike Perry, if he gets the win, he's often winning via knockout. So he could totally cover that in a win, right, Kyle? 
Yeah, that's the reason that I like Perry here. If he wins, he scores highly because it's going to be a knockout. Um, I mean, I don't see him beating Cowboy in a decision, and he's not going to submit Cowboy, so it's knockout or bust for Perry here. Uh, but that will score highly if it happens, so I think you've got to have a little bit of an investment here to him. Uh, but my pick to win is going to be Cowboy. He's just better everywhere. I, uh, so I, I have to pick him to be the better fighter over the course of 15 minutes. Um, and as long as he doesn't get knocked out, he should be fine. But he is the type of fighter who could go out there and get into a brawl. And if that's the case, I like Perry in a brawl. So I'm definitely going to have a good amount of exposure to this fight in general. Um, Cowboy's the pick to win. But again, it's kind of like the Hermanson fight where maybe Perry's the better DraftKings pick because it'll be a lot easier for him to make that first place lineup with a win. So in the light heavyweight matchup between Iwan Kutelaba and Glover Teixeira, the reason I'm personally not going to be stacking that in my DraftKings lineup is because I think either way it's going to be a first-round finish. So the winner is going to get possibly over 100 points, but the loser is going to have a very low floor. Do you kind of see it that way, or do you think it might be a drawn-out battle? Um, I can see it going both ways. I, I definitely favor the first-round finish on either side, so I like this fight a lot. It's right there in the mid-range. So a first-round finish is going to put whoever it is on the winning lineup, most likely. Um, man, it's just a tough one to call. I like the value we get here. We're getting Texture at $400 cheaper than uh, Ion, so I like that a lot. I think that puts him a, a little bit in play in cash, but I am worried about the first-round knockout, so I don't love the floor that comes with it. So I, I think it's really a better GPP fight, even with the value we're getting on Texture. Um, I, I never really pass up on that kind of value, so I'll for sure have some Texture lineups here. I think he is probably going to go out there and get a submission. That's my pick. So I like him a good bit, but like you said, if Ion wins, it's going to be a first-round knockout. So you got to like him a lot, too. I'm going to be pretty split on this one. I don't even really have a preferred play. I think I'm about 30% on each guy right now. So I'm just kind of hoping for that first-round finish, and then hopefully I can get the right combination with my multiple lineup. So that's what I'm going for this week, just shooting for that first-place lineup. I'll throw a bunch of lineups away trying to get to it, but my goal is 25K here, so... I'm going to target this fight heavily. My pick to win, though, is Glover, and I think he gets it done by first-round submission, maybe second-round submission. But I could see it going like uh, maybe Glover weathers the storm in the first, takes him down in the second, and then finishes him in the third. Something like that might take him off the, the winning lineup, but it's still pretty hard to not end up on it with that $7,900 price tag. Roosevelt Roberts is taking on Thomas Gifford, and interestingly enough, Roosevelt is the – the highest priced uh, favorite on this card at 9500 You got Thomas Gifford at 6700 Seems like Thomas Gifford is guillotine or bust. If he gets it, he's going to for sure surpass that 6700 But it's not very likely that he gets it, huh, Kyle? Yeah, you, yeah, you called it. Um, guillotine or bust, I, I wouldn't want to invest much into that, but he will be super low-owned. Um, Roberts will be pretty high-owned, so I think... If you're you're playing Gifford, it's just for an ownership reason because maybe you get a five percent chance. Uh, I mean, five percent ownership, and if he gets that first round guillotine, scores ninety points, that's not only going to give you the ninety points, but it's also going to kill off probably forty percent of lineups with Roberts. So, I mean, it's an okay ownership play if you want to go that route, but Roberts is the play here. I mean, it's I don't see him losing this. The only issue is affording him at ninety five hundred. So I think it's really just a case of if you can, throw him in. Um, but he's definitely not a must-have because there are possible a lot of possible finishes on this card. So 
if you can afford him, I like him a good bit. He's definitely playable in cash. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm probably not going to be touching Gifford unless I'm making over like 50 lineups. So Andre Arlovsky is making his return. He's taking on Augusto Sakai. It seems like nowadays they're giving all the prospects uh, to Andre Arlovsky to kind of test them out. Do you think Augusto Sakai can pass this test? I mean, yeah, I think he can. I'm going to pick Arlovsky here, though. I think this this could be just one of the uh, an Arlovsky fight that is a boring three-round decision where neither one of these guys is going to touch 10x of their salary with a win. So I don't like this fight that much on DraftKings. I'll probably try to avoid it, but they are heavyweights, so it only takes one shot from them. Um, so since I am throwing a bunch of lineups in, I'll take a couple shots on these guys, but I would, I'd really recommend if you're making 10 or less to just avoid the fight in general. I think Orlovsky's the, the safer play as an underdog, but I think Sakai has the better chance of being on that $25,000 lineup. Um, I don't see him being highly owned at $8,400 and he could test Orlovsky's chin early first round knockout could definitely put him on there. So, um, I've, I've kind of been thinking, Sakai is the better GPP play and Andre is the better cash play, but I, I really think the best play overall is to just fade this fight and hope that it is a boring three-round typical old Arlovsky fight. So in the strawweight division, Esparza is taking on Jandy Roba, the former Invicta champ, and both these women are known for their grappling. One's a wrestler, one's a jiu-jitsu artist. So do you think either one gets on top of the other, or is it going to be that situation when two grapplers fight, they often tend to stand and bang? Um, I, I see Esparza wanting to stand here, um, and she's $200 more expensive on DraftKings where she's the underdog on the betting line. So I think uh, Esparza is a clear fade for me. I don't see her going for the typical Esparza takedowns here because that's the danger area with Jandaroba. Um, I think Esparza is the better boxer. That's her path to victory is standing, and she's not going to score high if that's the case. She could get a 60-point decision. And at $8,200, that isn't going to do us any good. So I think it's Jandaroba or Fade here. Jandaroba is going to be the one looking for takedowns. And if she can get them, I think she can get a submission. So uh, I'm going to pick her to get the win. It's just you're really banking on that finish for her to be on the first place lineup because if she goes out there and gets a decision with uh, winning two rounds from like one takedown and just kind of holding top control, not advancing a whole lot, then she's not going to score highly. And I don't see her doing a whole lot on the feet either. So – it's it's a finish or nothing if you're going for Jandaroba here, but I'll take a couple shots at her, and I'm not going to have a single Esparza lineup. So last but not least, Angela Hill, she's taking on Jody Escabel. And listen, I'm not entirely convinced that Kyle Marley would be willing to pay that 9400 on Angela Hill, but I'm a 1,000% convinced that he's not even going to have 1% Jody Escabel. Am I right? Yep. Yep. You got it. Zero percent Escobar for me. <laughs> uh, I mean, first, I, I don't see how she wins. That's that's the thing. If she does win, I mean, she's going to put up like maybe not even 10x. But that's the thing. She's not going to win with that kind of a score because Hill will be outpacing that. Hill can go out there and put 90 points up in a decision win. So I just don't see how Escobar steals a decision from her. Um, Hill is pretty much better everywhere from where I see it. She's going to be the faster fighter, more active. And I don't see Escobar having success on the ground. I think Hill's probably more dangerous there, and that's her week, uh, her week game. So I really think Hill's a, a good cash game play here, especially with the new line that we're getting on her at minus 600, uh, which is a little bit ridiculous now, by the way. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I think she's a solid cash game play. It's just GPPs, it's, it's hard to see her pay off $9,400. Um, it's hard to even see her get 10x 
um, plus that $9,400 price tag. So it's it's a really good fade play. My thing is everyone saying fade Hill this week. Even me, I was saying that too. That was going to be my fade of the week. But I'm kind of thinking maybe maybe it's a good ownership play. We can get her under 10%. So I'm going to end up throwing some Hill lineups in there and just kind of hoping she can put up some crazy output and outscore Roberts and Hardy. And that'll give me a good chance at the $25,000 if she's on multiple of my lineup. So I'm going to go overweight on her, but it's not going to take much to go overweight on Angela Hill here. And that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Kyle, it's going down this Saturday. Jockeray versus Hermanson. They can follow you at Big Marley 3. And they can get your bets and your write-ups at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, man. They're both ready to go. Um, write-ups like 18,000 words. Takes a lot of time. I think you guys will enjoy it. Should help out a good bit. And the bets have been crushing. So let's get this money. I agree. I think you guys will enjoy both as well. Kyle, we'll speak soon. All right, man. Take care. Good luck. And that's why Big Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, gentlemen, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC Sunrise? My fight to watch is going to be uh, Sanhagen versus Lineker, man. I want to see if this kid, Corey Sanhagen, is the prospect that they say he is, man. This is a tough fight. Lineker's a perennial top 10 guy, a former top 5 guy. So, And he always brings him, man. He always... Uh, if he failed I me, mean, we saw his last fight against Kelleher. Uh, Kelleher got knocked out stiff, and Kelleher is a tough guy, so that's the fight I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah, there's no chance I'll be missing the John Lineker and Corey Sanhagen fight. Ian, what is your fight to watch for UFC Florida? Um, I would have said the same thing, but since Shaq used that, I will pick a different one. I am very curious to see how someone like Alex Cowboy Oliveira bounces back. I think he is somebody that has all the talent, all the ability, all the skill to eventually break into that top five at 170. I think he gives a lot of guys fits if he doesn't fight like a fucking asshole, pardon my French. <laughs> because you you know, you know what? That Yancey Madero's fight made me cringe, bro. All, you know, because here's the thing. Like you said before, this dude dominates fights, and then with Byrne, and then with Cowboy. I mean, I mean, I had Cowboy in that fight. Didn't think the win was going to come that way. This is just a guy that it just, it's, it's amazing to see when he gets on guys' backs what he does to them. You know, it's amazing to see when he is landing to your point, you know, when guys hit him, it doesn't seem like it faces him much, but he gets cut open easily. I'm just really curious to see if he can kind of just completely tool Perry really quick, come back and then he's ready to move on. I, I just think he's too good to be sitting at this point in his career so far back in the rankings. I just think he should be top five on, on his best day, you know, especially in a division that is a hard recycle recycle. You know, luckily, Masvidal and Askren are giving us a little bit of fresh blood in that top rankings, and maybe Anthony Pettis. I don't, I don't know. But uh, outside of Lineker and Sandhagen, I'm very, very curious about the uh, more about Oliveira's return than, than Perry's fight. So, yeah, I don't, re- I don't remember uh, the last time I saw a boring Mike Perry or Alex Cowboy Oliveira fight. So I'm definitely intrigued to see who gets back on the win track there. But for me, my fight to watch is Gilbert Durinho Burns versus Mike Davis. Man, I mean. This is going to be a very exciting fight. Obviously, Gilbert Torino, he's been making all these improvements. He's very confident in his knockout power, not to mention his second-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And Mike Davis, we've been saying this kid is, needs to be in the UFC for a while. Now he finally is. Uh, man, uh, Gilbert Torino versus Mike Davis is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Florida? My fighter to watch is going to be Jim Miller, man. I know uh, he's on the, the tail end of his career, man, but it's always a good scene when this guy wins. 
you know, everybody's been a fan of his for a super long time. And if he gets this one, it'll be, what, 29 wins? It'll be one win away from uh, 30. So, I mean, he, he'll keep uh, adding to the record books. Yeah, he's got the most wins in UFC history. If we can get another one, uh, it's going to be a while before someone can catch up to him. Uh, Ian, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Sunrise? Man, it's tough. You wonder what? I think the fighter to watch is going to be John Leineker. I, I think a lot of uh, hype towards Corey Sanhagen, and I think this is going to be one of those fights where if Leineker could just brutally knock him out in the first round, I would love to see Leineker fight again soon. You know, I really would. I, I love watching that guy fight. You know, against a guy like Brian Keller, um, which actually, Brian's tough. Boom is tough. I know him from back in New York. Tough guy. Um, it's hard to see a guy get knocked out, but John's fought everywhere. It would just be nice to see him just do what he does. He's always so much fun to watch. Someone like him, I think, is a fighter to watch. And you know what? I'm going to say this, and you're going to laugh. I think Jacare is going to be a fighter to watch, too, because, again, he's fighting someone who's got nothing to lose, and this is his absolute last shot. He wins. He gets that title shot he's always wanted. Let's see what Jacare is really made of. Remember, a lot of these guys sometimes, and I'm not saying Jacare will do this because he is, I think he's got one of the highest level IQs in the fight game, 1,000%. However, sometimes these bigger fights, you end up playing a little bit down to your competition. You take them lightly. I don't know if that's Jacare's mindset. I really hope he comes out and does what he does best. And I'm rooting for him. I think he deserves, not that I think he deserves a title shot on what is it, like a one-win tight streak, but... Just to see him kind of complete his career, win or lose, it's a hard to imagine seeing a guy like that not getting a title, you know? So between the two of them, you know, this, this may be a car with a lot, not a lot of big names, but for you true MMA fans out there, it's a pretty good fucking card. Yeah, this card's awesome, man. And uh, listen, I'm going to go on the opposite side in terms of fighter to watch just because we've been so high on Jack Hermanson on this show. I know everyone remembers that max bet against Talis Latis. Also bet him uh, against Dave Branch uh, less than a month ago. And this is a massive step up in competition. This ain't no Dave Branch no more. This ain't Gerald Murchard anymore. This is Jacare motherfucking Souza. So, man, for Jack Hermanson, I mean, you know, when he when he first came into the UFC and he was talking about how he had the best ground and pound in the division, you know, I kind of thought it was cute. I kind of thought it was a joke. I, You know, I thought, you know, you pat him on the back. You're like, okay, Jack. But the reality is when he gets on top of these guys and he starts pounding on them, they don't seem to get back up. And I've definitely been impressed with that. And also that guillotine choke that everyone talks about is actually not a guillotine. It's actually a, a reverse uh, arm triangle, basically. It's an arm triangle uh, from your back. Uh, it's something very impressive. I, you know, I'm not sitting here saying he's going to go out there and submit a guy like Jacare, that would be that would set the MMA world on fire. But uh man, Jack's got some tools uh in, in the toolbox, man. He's a very impressive guy, and uh, I just can't wait to see what he does with this main event opportunity against the absolute legend, against the great Ronaldo Jacare Souza. So uh Jack Romance is my fight to watch. Well, gentlemen, we did it. It's going down this Saturday, UFC Florida. They can follow you, Shaq, at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. They can follow Ian at Parker Cage Hero. And real quick, before uh, I let everyone know where to subscribe to Half the Battle, Ian, uh, any message for the fans, man? Yeah, first off, uh, appreciate you guys having me on the show. You know, over the last couple months, obviously, people who didn't know who I was through my Cage Hero brand, through the management, kind of got a feel through the uh, MMA handicapper world. Um, Listen, guys, just be careful when you're betting on some of these fights. Please don't put the house on Hardy. Uh, otherwise, you guys should tune into the show every week. These guys know their stuff. A lot of fun. You guys' breakdowns are great. 
You guys got really good chemistry. I hope a lot of success for you guys in the future. Would love to be on again. Uh, I have a pretty big announcement coming up in the next couple of weeks that uh, I think some of you guys are going to be surprised. Some of you guys might not be surprised at where I end up within the MMA world coming soon. Uh, look forward to that and uh, just enjoy the fights, man. It's going to be a good one. Yes, sir. Ian, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us right here right now on Half the Battle. We appreciate it. And the fans, once again, go follow him at Parker Cage Hero. Make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and Spotify. Follow us on Instagram at Best Fight Picks Official. And uh, go buy our bets at bestfightpicks.com. Uh, been killing it this year. Been back to the underdog ways and look to continue that this weekend. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.